When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, real quick, want to give a shout out to James up in Stoneville, North Carolina. He's a friend of the show. Hell, he's a friend of the family now. We were able to go ahead and help his family recently save more than $1,200 a month. Really think about this. My man, Robbie didn't save $1,200 one time. He's going to save it each and every month, all because he went to save with Conrad.com. He left us a five-star review earlier this week. And he said this from the first phone call with Christian, all the hard work Diane put in Jennifer taking time to explain things and help me understand where we were at with the deal right up to Steve, helping me get this survey through nothing but professionalism all around dealing with first family has helped us to the point we've cut $1,200 a month off our bills. I can't say enough about the team Conrad has assembled. I highly recommend First Family to anyone looking to purchase or refinance their home. Thanks to Conrad and the entire First Family team. No, thank you, James, for the great review. And congratulations on saving $1,200 a month. And oh, by the way, you can skip your next two house payments. It's real, folks. Savewithconrad.com can help you. We're licensed in more than 40 states. But if you've got credit card debt, if you're looking to save money on your monthly payments, if you're looking to pay your house off faster, or even buy a house with no money down, savewithconrad.com is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. That's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfreeshows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others for, yes, yeah, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? 
adfreeshows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fox Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at adfreeshows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm just sitting here with some of my AG1. Come on. Some of my coffee. There you go. And my Pittsburgh Steeler mug. All righty. Getting ready for the NFL season. I'm trying to psych myself up this year because I last few years, I've kind of gotten a little, I don't know. Not too excited about the NFL season, and I miss that. I miss being excited about football. So I'm trying really hard. I've been listening to Shanti Pendergast on CBS Sports Radio every Sunday afternoon because I dig Sean, and he's a big fan of the show, friend of the show, and he's a smart dude. He loves wrestling, but he really, really, really knows sports. And by listening to him, Sean, I, I I'm getting a better appreciation and i'm hoping that this year i'm going to finally engage because i kind of miss you know sunday afternoons when the weather's shitty outside sitting around having some kung pao chicken and an ice cold beer and watching me some football so i'm i'm gearing up I'm, I'm, there's hope and i look i know the steelers aren't going to have a blowout season you know mark madden who i follow he, he's in pittsburgh he's a great sports journalist um, you know, he's, but he's a realist, you know, he's now a fanboy, like so many people that are going to be bitching about my opinion of this show, but I'm, I, I don't care. I don't care if the Steelers are, you know, make the playoffs or, or go to the Super Bowl. I would like them to, but I just want to get back into the Steelers again. I miss it. Here's what needs to happen. We got to get you down to Alabama. You got to come to a Bama game. You know, there's no reason not to do it. We got to make that happen. So I'm going to find a way where we can combine a few fun things for you. And maybe there's a concert in there. Maybe there's a party in there. Maybe there's an Alabama game in there. We're going to make something fun happen. I would love to experience an Alabama game. I mean, that's a whole, that's a different level of passion for the game and passion for your team. Right. Oh yeah. And culture, you know, there's history there. There's legacy there. And that's what I miss, man. I miss, I miss the connection, 
even though I love things that are new and, and exciting and uh, how the game has developed and the athletes have improved, but man, I miss the tradition and the legacy of it all. And I think Alabama football in particular probably has a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And there's going to be a lot of, uh, <clears throat> awkwardness on today's program. We're covering fall brawl 1997, but before we get there, I guess we should give a peek behind the curtain. You and I are recording this in advance of the labor day weekend. So happy labor day, everybody. Uh, but as you probably guessed, Eric and I didn't record it this morning at midnight, uh, in order for you to hear this. So we're recording it before we go to top guy weekend in Chicago before we did our money for Mongo extravaganza this past Saturday, but the donation link is still live boys and girls money If you missed the show, uh, I think you can catch it on our YouTubes, but you can certainly catch it on fight. It's totally free, but we are encouraging you to go make a donation for Mongo. I'm going to step out on a limb and say it was a great show and a great weekend. We had the nature boy. We had Jim Ross. We had Tony Schiavone. We had Eric Bischoff. We had Jeff Jarrett. Oh, and Mick Foley all in the ring at the same time, trying to entertain you all for a great cause for a great man. Money is where you can make a donation. And, um, I don't know, man, it was really cool seeing the press on the, on the way to the show as you and I are recording. It's still in advance of us leaving for Chicago, but I've seen it on WGN and the tribune and a whole bunch of other local Chicago media and the national media because Mongo made such an impression on so many folks. And uh, I'm glad we were able to bring this wrestling community together for a great cause money for Mongo.com. How about it, Eric? It's pretty awesome. Uh, I was able to participate in that WGN interview and man, the love, you can just feel the love for Mongo, you know, from news people, people in the local community have really have embraced him. And I'm so happy to see that. I'm, I'm just proud and grateful to be a part of the team that's doing what we're doing. And I'm looking at some of the social media right before we started, you know, recording this. And there's so much support out there for Mongo and people donating and being a part of it. And just makes you feel good to do good stuff, man, for good people. And now that we've got the niceties out of the way, let's bust Eric's balls. What do you build? What, 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 what? Why are you building up to this conflict? What, well, what is it about this particular pay-per-view that has you just, you, you haven't even started antagonizing me yet, but you're, you're showing coming. your hand and it's I'm coming. curious as to why. Well, there's a lot going on here in this era. This is the ECW mole era where you're just siphoning off as much ECW talent as you can. And at the same time, this is the show that. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and a whole lot of others, including some of the dirt sheet, as you would call them, would say that you effectively killed the state of North Carolina for WCW forever. And, and how did I do that? Well, we're going to talk about it, but it was the main event of fall, fall brawl, 1997, just to give everybody an opportunity to catch up. Uh, recently here in our archives, we talked about the now famous Arn Anderson, my spot promo. And then I guess the infamous parody that followed from the NWO. And there was one more episode of nitro between those promos and fall brawl 97, but man, there's so much that happens in just that short period of time. ECW goes on TV and announces that Todd Gordon is a mole for WCW and he's been fired from ECW. Of course, he was the original founder of Eastern championship wrestling. 
brings Paul E on board. Shane Douglas throws down the NWA title in 94 and they become extreme championship wrestling. And now the, I guess, former owner of ECW was supposedly working with WCW office staff to let them know what the ECW wrestler contract situations were. The observer would say this. It's no secret to anyone at the ECW shows this weekend that Gordon was out allegedly for failing in an attempt to get numerous ECW wrestlers to join him in jumping to WCW to do a new version of the NWO angle using the ECW wrestlers as the outsiders. Such a scenario may very well have been discussed. There's little doubt that two things did occur. One Gordon and WCW booker, Terry Taylor had a conversation or more regarding the availability of ECW talent as WCW is looking to expand its talent roster in 1998 because of its more ambitious schedule and that Taylor contacted at least one Shane Douglas, if not more ECW wrestlers after the conversation with Gordon, a lot to unpack there. As I like to say, you've acknowledged here on the program, you didn't watch a bunch of ECW. You weren't really keeping up with what's happening on their programming, but you did admit that perhaps some of your folks were. And you pegged Kevin Sullivan and, and, and Terry Taylor as two potentials. We know that Terry Taylor communicates with the newsletters. That wasn't a secret based on the way some of the verbiage was written over the years in both the torch and the observer. What can you tell us about Terry Taylor potentially allegedly talking to Todd Gordon and trying to get information about ECW contracted talent? God, this just sounds like some, you know, really cheap comic book version of a wrestling story, right? The intrigue, the espionage, Todd Gordon turning his back on ECW, Paul Heyman coming in, Terry Taylor, the mole or the man who's facilitating the mole, Todd Gordon. Guess what? If fucking Todd Gordon would have showed up at my house with a pizza back in 1997, I wouldn't have recognized him. I wouldn't have even known who he was. I would have given him 10 bucks for the pizza in a $2 tip and said, thank you, whoever you are, be on your way. I didn't know Todd Gordon. So this idea that there was this master plan to infiltrate and undermine ECW, guess what? They weren't getting paid. They were coming to us. Now, did Todd Gordon have a a, a conversation with, with uh, Terry Taylor or possibly Kevin Sullivan said, hey, there's a bunch of guys here that aren't getting paid. They want to leave. and They don't have contracts. Sure. People talk all the time. Yeah. I mean, look, I talked to some people who were a part of AEW. Don't share any information. Talk about hunting and fishing and weather and shit. But you could you could create the illusion, right? You could create the conspiracy because that sells dirt sheets. And that's what's going on here. There was no master plan. Sure. Terry Taylor, who probably knew Todd Gordon from whoever, however long or way back. Yeah, he probably had a conversation or two. And did Todd Gordon tell Terry Taylor, who may or may not be available? I don't know. It wasn't under my direction, and I certainly wasn't aware of it. But who cares? It's not against the freaking law. There's nothing immoral, unethical about that. It wasn't contract tampering. 
nine times out of 10, it was people that I had never heard of before saying, Hey, I work for, as it is related to me, or I would find out later, Hey, I work for Paul Heyman. I haven't been paid for three weeks or four weeks and I can't get a straight answer. And I need to pay my bills and feed my family. Do you have any room on your roster? And in some cases we did. In some cases we didn't. That's it. No drama, no super spy novel going on here. Just normal course of business. ECW was a, a startup company that was on a shaky foundation, even though they were funded by WWE and Vince McMahon, they were nonetheless still on a shaky financial foundation. And, uh, and look, I'm not criticizing them for that. You know, Paul Heyman, you know, he did his best. He borrowed money. He, he, he did everything he could to put ECW on the map and it didn't work. Doesn't make him a bad guy, but it does create a situation where there were certain people that worked for that company mm -hmm. that weren't getting paid and they weren't getting straight answers and they had to feed their family. So they would reach out to Terry Taylor or Kevin Sullivan or whomever and try to get a gig. Sorry. <laughs> wish it was cooler than that, but that's it. That's all there is. There was no fucking mole. It's like a figment of some dirt sheet writer's imagination or mostly just bullshit to sell dirt sheets. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Now, let me say this too. You're uniquely qualified to understand this circumstance because everyone listening to this show knows boy, working for Vern Gagne at the end was not exactly a profitable endeavor. I mean, you went months without being paid because times mm -hmm. were lean. So you could be sympathetic to that, right? I am sympathetic. I'm, 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 I mean, I, I empathetic. I can put myself in those shoes. I've been in those shoes on both sides of the equation. I get it, man. Business is tough. It's launching a business, starting a business is tough in any business wrestling, maybe even more so. Um, and I respect and admire people that try. Mm -hmm. You have to in any business, no matter what it is, because it's, it's tough. And it's always a big risk. Eight, eight out of 10 new businesses fail. Eight out of 10 entrepreneurs probably crash and burn three times before they're successful once. I don't know if those are actual stats, but that's my life experience and, and watching people around me. So, yeah, you have a certain amount of respect. And I, I do have empathy because I can put myself in those shoes because I've been there. Um, but it, it is what it is. What it's not is the drama in the intrigue that some people try to make it out to be. Talk to me about, you know, 
there is, there is some truth to this report. I know you're not going to like that, but it's not all BS in that you are looking to expand your roster for this new Thursday show. Uh, was there ever, I'm not saying this was your idea. I'm not suggesting that, but do you think that perhaps as we're looking for, I don't know, a new angle, a new direction, like what's the hook? What's the interesting thing? How can we make thunder different from nitro? All that sort of thing. I know you've laid out before the, the nitro piece might be the NWO show and the thunder piece might be the WCW show. That was your vision. Do you think, and this is just a guess, probably, do you think Kevin Sullivan or Terry Taylor thought, well, maybe we can get some of the smart marks to pay attention to thunder. If we can get some of the CCW talent for that hardcore fan to be a part of that Thursday program. Do I think that's possible that they were thinking that? Yes. Sure. Why not? Of course. Creatively. I'd be surprised if they weren't. Doesn't mean that that was acted upon. Right. But look, Terry Taylor and, and Kevin Sullivan, they had their own creative ideas. Yes. They had their own relationships and weren't necessarily consistent with mine. I can only speak to what I was thinking and the actions that I took. I can't speak to what other people may or may not have been thinking in any given moment because I wasn't inside their heads. Um, but I do think it's quite plausible that either Terry or Kevin or both when, Hey, you know, maybe this will work. I mean, Kevin was the head booker, you know, he was, he was the head writer. He was the, the, the guy that I leaned on to help shape ideas or come up with new ideas and find new talent and, and all that. And I think because of Kevin and possibly Terry's um, connection to some of the people in ECW that they felt, a lot more strongly about it than I did. Sure. I, I'd, I'd be foolish to think that that might not have been a thought in their heads, but that's all it was. Do you think they ever imagined that they could do some sort of recreation of the NWO concept? Now, God, I hope not. Cause I would have shut that down in a heartbeat. I think you're going to say that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would have just been blatantly fucking stupid. No, I, that would have never happened under my watch. Well, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of things have happened under your watch, including having maybe arguably the greatest head of hair in the history of professional wrestling. That's true. It's still to this day. <laughs> I mean, you gotta admit, look, it, it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it used to be like silver. I used to say my hair's not gray. It's platinum. Yeah. I think I've kind of phased out of the platinum stage and I'm entering into the white stage. It's like just white hair now. Like it took me a half an hour. Sitting out here adjusting my, I got some new lights, by the way. I love these new lights. They're yeah. fucking awesome. Like $119 each, really adjustable, much better quality light. But the reason I got them is because my overhead light, when I would turn it on, my hair looked like it was, a, it, it was like white fire, but it's still very thick. Very stylish too. I just got my hair cut yesterday. Can you tell? You're, you're looking styling today, Dad. I'm high and tight, brother. High and tight. Well, I'll tell you what I, uh, hair is something that all of us listening to this podcast are going to have to think about at some point. You know, the reality is two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're just 35. And in fact, more than 50 million men here in America suffer from male pattern baldness. And I wasn't really nervous about that because my dad used to say my hair turned gray. It didn't turn loose. And then last year I took my parents 
to the beach to celebrate their anniversary, saw dad easing into the pool and saw a bald spot coming Don't around. Tell him. Well, here's what I did. I went and I got him keeps and I did that because I knew that keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. And there's only two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. And I'm happy to tell you, I went and got haircut myself yesterday with my dad. That spot's no longer there. There's a bunch of hair there and it's because he got in front of it. Keeps offers a simple, affordable, and stress-free way to keep your hair. We're talking convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, meaning you don't even have to leave home. They've also got 24 seven care and support. Keeps has a network of expert medical advisors, prescribers, and care specialists to support you in making your hair goals a reality. But here's my favorite part. And you're going to love this, Eric. It's low cost. The treatment started just $10 a month. I want to mention they do this because keeps offers generic versions of the two FDA approved medications to prevent hair loss. So these treatment plans are affordable. How affordable? Well, typically like half the cost of a pharmacy price. You see, keeps has everything your hair needs and it's delivered straight to your door with discreet packaging, but more importantly, proven results. Remember prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results to act fast. And when it comes to your hair, save more and spend less. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to K E E P S.com slash 83 weeks to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K E E P S.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month free. That's K E E P S.com slash 83 weeks. Uh, let's jump back into it here, Eric, because I love talking about 1997. There's so many moving parts. Um, the Shane Douglas thing is, uh, going to become a bigger issue quote. Douglas claims to have been offered $300,000 a year to sign, which begs the logical question. If that was true, what kept him from signing? Although Douglas has in part blamed his failed WWF stint on heat from Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Supposedly Scott Levy, AKA Raven contracted Tommy dreamer, who was given an indication he could get a $200,000 per year contract. Should he want it? Although there have been denials of that story, as well as people close to Levy claiming that Heyman and Sullivan were spreading the story about Levy contacting ECW wrestlers. The other is that a few ECW wrestlers over the past two weeks told Heyman that Gordon approached them regarding a similar plan and storyline. So listen, this is maybe a little bit of a telephone, telegram, telewrestler. But do you remember ever having conversations, uh, about Tommy dreamer or any sort of potential opportunity with Raven and Tommy dreamer of any sort? Zero. Okay. None. I didn't even know who Tommy dreamer was. Okay. I didn't even realize who Tommy dreamer was till years after this. N- not, and that is not a reflection on Tommy dreamer. No, you weren't watching that is yeah. that is a reflection of the fact that I just didn't watch the product or pay attention to it and not to be, you know, redundant and keep going to the well with the same response, but could somebody else have right? Perhaps I didn't know who he was and nobody would have been offering anything had I not signed off on it. It's not like Kevin Sullivan or Terry Taylor or anybody else had a blank check and they could just go off and offer people money and deals without it going through an internal process, which I was a part of, but uh, Nick Lambros would have been, or Diana Myers, one or the other would have been on the front lines of that, but it would have had to have come to me even after they approved it in order for me to approve it. So I would remember if Tommy dreamer 
was a subject of discussion with regard to a contract and it, it just didn't happen. Let's talk about Shane Douglas for a minute, because I've always been a fan of Shane Douglas. Uh, I remember, uh, the first time I remember seeing him was in ECW, but it turns out I saw him a lot before. I just didn't remember. Uh, he bounced around the WWF for a couple of years. Uh, he bounced around WCW before that. Then he came back to WCW. And I think that's probably when you would have met him. Uh, he was in WCW in 92 and 93. So you definitely would have been there at the same time. Did you have, what was your relationship? If any, uh, back in that WCW run for Shane, we'll call it 92, 93. I, I don't recall any interactions with Shane. Okay. I mean, other, other than, and again, keep in mind in 92 in particular, um, I'm, I'm a C squad announcer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just a little bit more visible than whoever's making food and catering as far as talent is concerned, almost a fly on the wall. So, you know, it stands to reason that I didn't really have any interaction with him. I may have done an interview with him or something like that, that I can't remember, but unless I was interviewing him, there was no personal conversation or relationship. So we know that he is going to, uh, carve out a niche for himself in ECW 94, 95, but you know, that pays what it pays. He goes to the WWF, uh, gets a pretty big opportunity there. Or so he would have hoped with the Dean Douglas character, which admittedly was pretty fucking lame comes back to ECW. And I think that's when he was on my radar, 1996 forward. Uh, I was a big fan of what he was doing, but then, you know, as you mentioned, there are some challenges with the way the finances were going on the ECW side of things. And he winds up making a surprise return to WCW in July of 99. And that would have been really right before you leave the company. When he does come into ECW in the summer of 99, were you involved in that process at all? Any interaction there before you decided to take a, well, you were offered a leave of absence. We'll call it that. No, I was fired. You can say it. Okay. But they still had to pay me. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's called pair play. I didn't even know what pair play meant until I, until I started negotiating contracts for WCW, but I, I, it's one of my favorite parts of any contract I've been involved in. Yeah. You can fire me motherfucker, but you're going to pay me. Um, unless you're firing me for cause, which is a different set of circumstances, but I digress. Um, was I part of it? Yeah, I was. And, and that's really when I got to know Shane on a personal level is during that period of time when we didn't like go out and have dinner and hang out and drink beers together or anything like that, but certainly got to know him, had more discussions with him. And I look, I, I liked Shane based on the experience that I had with him. Um, I found it to be really uh, interesting to talk to about wrestling. He had a really, uh, I, I liked he, he reminded me a little bit of a Terry Taylor um, in the sense that he had a really good feel for psychology and he was a good performer. My only issue was there was, there was some Ric Flair, Shane Douglas tension. And it's like, Oh God, you know, things are the wheels by 1998, the wheels were already kind of wobbling, giving an indication that one or one or more may be falling off at any moment. Um, and the idea of bringing in a guy that could add to that drama and Michigas, you're welcome, Dave Green, um, was not high on my list. But it, you know, I think I talked to Rick about it and it was kind of water under the bridge, and everybody promised to play nice together. 
So let's, uh, let's bounce around a little bit and, and let's talk about where it gets a little hard to believe. Quote, it's difficult to buy such a scenario as the story is out and may have been discussed and actually being able to take place in WCW. What Gordon and Taylor were supposedly putting together begs the question as to whether Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall would allow a group of wrestlers, none with any name value to mainstream fans, to basically do their own angle with the same promotion at a time when their angle is still based on TV ratings and house show attendance and its ascension rather than its decline. Even if it was on the decline, We've seen how they guard their positions and their angle. A source within WCW claimed that WCW approached Taylor, uh, with the idea of being a manager. No, I'm sorry. A source within WCW claimed that Gordon approached Taylor with the idea of being a manager of two or three ECW wrestlers that he would bring along, but they nixed that idea because they didn't think Gordon would make a good manager. So he keeps on and on with this hypothetical, but this is just silly nonsense here. There was never. It's hard for me to wrap my head around because it's just an impossibility. There's not going to be. It, it's it's clearly Dave Meltzer. Um, it's just Dave Meltzer. It's what he did and still does to this day. It's just creating a story where one doesn't exist and all of these hypotheticals and in the process of discussing this hypothetical um, scenario that may or may not be really going on. He's able to infuse his own personal agenda and takes on the people that are hypothetically involved. That's Dave Meltzer. It's also going to result in Heyman threatening to sue. Of course, uh, he's talking about it on his on TV and, and, and in interviews and Meltzer would say, according to the observer, Heyman claimed as well. He told Taylor specifically, he was tampering with ECW contracted personnel that charge would be similar to a charge in the WWF's lawsuit against WCW that they tampered with Nash and Hall while the two were under WWF contracts. Can we stop right there? Yes. Because, you know, Dave is the master of run-on paragraphs. Yes. Forget about run-on sentences. Run-on paragraphs. Um, but let's just address that point because it's a really good point and an interesting one. Um, Paul Heyman threatened a lot of legal action. That was his go-to because yes. he didn't really have much else, right? And Paul's father was an attorney. Paul Paul grew up in a legal kind of environment and was a, and Paul's a very, always has been, a very, very, very smart guy. Paul knew, and I admire him for this, by the way. This is kind of some Sun Tzu art of war shit which I kind of like. It's one of my favorite books. Have you ever read Sun Tzu? Of course. Art of War. Art of War. I just, I go back to it and read it maybe once every three years. I pull it out because, and every time I read it, it's like the first time I read it. It's kind of cool shit, but it's some Sun Tzu Art of War shit there. Paul knew that Turner WCW were on our heels with regard to litigation, copyright, trademark infringement, WWE bullshit. It was all over the place. And WCW was getting its ass kicked. Paul Heyman also knew because he spent time in WCW, how afraid or adverse was a, is a better way of saying it. How adverse WCW, not WCW, how adverse Turner legal was. WCW didn't have its own legal department. We had representatives from the TBS or Turner Broadcasting Legal Department who worked inside of WCW, but they weren't employees of mine. There was a dotted line responsibility there. I've talked about that before. I'll leave it alone. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. But Paul knew how adverse Turner Broadcasting was to any kind of a legal challenge. Paul Heyman knew for a fact that all you had to do was threaten to sue WCW for an amount at that time, less than $100,000, and they would settle regardless of how ridiculous you know, the, the claim was. Because it was easier just to spend $100,000 to make it go away than it was to spend $300,000 to prove you're right. And unfortunately, that exists in all walks of life now. Um, I'm a big fan of litigation reform, in case you can't tell. But <clears throat> Paul knew that. So when Paul's back is up against the wall and he's trying to stop the bleeding because so many people are wanting to leave because he's not able to pay them and isn't communicating clearly as to when he would, that's a great defensive maneuver. Just threaten lawsuits. Turner, oh, my God, we can't have any more lawsuits. Oh, fuck, no, stop. So it was really smart on Paul's part. <clears throat> and it also, you know, by going out and talking about it publicly on television, and it was very much a part of the Paul Heyman, the broader Paul Heyman um, initiative to make his audience and his talent, by the way, believe that, you know, big bad WCW and Turner Broadcasting and an evil Eric Bischoff is trying to, Put us out of business because that was WWF's theme, right? That was the basis of their lawsuit. Billionaire Ted's trying to crush this poor little family-owned business called WWF. So all Paul Heyman did was mirror the tactics of WWE, knowing that Turner Legal was so adverse to any kind of legal issue that they would just fold or put pressure on me to fold. That's what all of that was about. Paul Heyman <clears throat> successfully and brilliantly, may I add, created a brand loyalty within his ECW fan base and, and in some cases talent and, and did so by making it look like we were out to get him and dipshits like Dave Meltzer played right into it. It was brilliant. It wasn't real, but it was really smart. I do want to talk about, uh, contract tampering a little bit, but before we do, I, I want to remind everybody that you just recently posted a picture of some mackerel that you made on the rec tech, which is a grill you and I've been using for years. We've been bragging about it for a while here. You can grab one for as low as three ninety nine. In fact, rec tech has grills for every lifestyle, every budget. And what they all have in common is a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. But what we like about them, besides the ease and convenience, which we're going to brag about is man, they cut out the middleman it's factory direct pricing and all the grills ship for free. So you're not only going to get a great deal. You're going to get a great product. I've had other types of grills that were wood pellet grills, but they were in a word inferior to the rec tech. You can feel the quality in your hand. This is high quality stainless steel. It's built to last a lifetime. 
I'm bragging about the flagship model from Rectech. They call it the RT 700. Why the 700? Well, because it's 702 square inches of cooking space, which means more than you'll ever need. You can, you want to do something for the big barbecue for a football game? No problem. You can cover the whole freaking neighborhood with this thing. Uh, it's got a 40 pound pellet hopper, which means you're going to be good to go on a single cook for a long, long time. The PID Wi-Fi controller is perhaps the best part. We're going to brag about that more than maybe we should. And it also comes with a six year bumper to bumper warranty. Now, let me explain the Wi-Fi controller. You can turn your grill on remotely using your freaking phone. You can turn it off the same way. You can adjust the temperature up or down. You can do all of this from your phone. You don't have to be right hovering over your grill, making sure that you've got it all dialed in. In addition to that, they've got these really awesome probes. Your meat is going to be the perfect temperature. If you've been cooking for a while on a grill, you can tell the truth. You've had some circumstances where you've undercooked or even worse overcooked. Cause here's the deal with undercooking. You can always throw it back on, but isn't that a hassle to bring it in? You think you're done. And then the wife says, Oh, these need a little more. That never happens with rec tech. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, you'll never overdo it. Now you've spent all this time, effort, energy, prepping, marinating, getting all this stuff ready. And then we left it on a couple minutes too long and it's not nearly what it could have been. Rec tech makes this process easy. So easy. Even my wife does it. Like years and years and years, we just had the old charcoal grill. She was intimidated by that. Wouldn't touch it. Wouldn't mess with it. This is like, I mean, I can't even put into it. She calls it an outdoor oven. That's how awesome it is, but it doesn't taste like it's in the oven. It tastes like it's from the grill because it's a rec tech. It's fantastic. But she goes out, hits a button, monitors on her phone, done. Supper's done, Eric. It's fantastic. You can bake, you can smoke, you can sear, you can grill. They tell me you can dehydrate. I haven't done that yet, but you do it all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectech. So get rid of that old tasteless gas grill. Looking at you, Jim Ross. Get rid of that messy charcoal grill. Eric and I were suckers. We fell for that once upon a time. And don't even bother with those overhyped brand name grills. Let's join an elite wood pellet grilling family. Let's go to Rectech. They focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. They've set the new standard. I cannot put into words how easy a Rectech is to use and how fantastic the food tastes. Visit rectech.com. That's R E C T E Q.com. The promo code is Bischoff five, and that'll save you 5% site wide. That's 5% off their top notch wood pellet grills. That's 5% off their icer coolers. That's 5% off their chef tested rubs and sauces and accessories and merchandise. Everything's 5% off at rectech.com. When you use the promo code Bischoff five, Eric, that mackerel looked fantastic. And I never grilled whole mackerel before. Uh, it's a little into me. A grilling fish is a little different than grilling meat. And I was, I don't want to say intimidated, but I was, I was interested to see how it was going to turn out. It was a little cautious, made sure I, you know, read six or eight different recipes and trying to find the right internal temperature, all that kind of stuff. But the, for me, that's the fun of tr- cooking something new and trying something different. Um, but that mackerel turned out so good. It was, first of all, it was a great recipe. You know, and marinade that we found that that made it great. And I love mackerel. Mackerel's a very, like salmon, uh, a very oily fish. And if you, it's a health thing for us. Um, the oil, the more oily a fish is, the more fish oil there is as a percentage of meat and all that, the healthier it is, right? So we look for fish that are high in oil, but they're also trickier to cook. They're a little more complicated, um, and. First time, man, on the rec deck, just first time, put that internal 
probe in there. So I made sure I got to the exact temperature I wanted for obvious reasons. You don't want to eat it too raw uh, unless it's, you know, unless it's sushi grade. Um, and you don't want to overcook it because then it's dry and doesn't have the flavor or the health benefits because you cook the oil out of it. Rectech let me get it exactly where my research indicated I should be in terms of the internal temperature of the fish. And it was like first time out perfect. And we'll be doing a lot more of that because we have friends of, you know, Garrett and, and his wife, uh, Mary Jane and our new grandson, Waylon, he'll be a year old in September, this September. Now this month, where's the time go? I know. Right. And they're coming here for a week. They're coming to visit. Um, Actually, as this podcast drops, they're here. And Garrett and I love to cook together, and he loves cooking on a rectech because he doesn't have one. So he gets to come up and play with mine, and it's great. We're going to have a blast. We're going to cook our asses off this week. Go check it out, rectech.com. Bishel 5 is what you want to do. But let's talk about contract tampering because that's become a hot-button issue lately. Obviously, it was an issue once upon a time during the Monday Night Wars. We talked about it with ECW here today, but... We've talked about it a lot with Hall Nash and the WWF, and now people are saying perhaps the WWE has been reaching out to AEW talent to see if they might be interested in coming back. Maybe it's former WWE talent, and maybe allegedly the company was testing the waters, and supposedly Tony Khan sent them a nasty gram. Uh, if, do you have any opinion about how all of this is shaking out? It feels like history is repeating itself here. Oh, I, I mean, I don't have an opinion on it because I don't know any details other than what we've read or heard. And you all understand how I value that. Mm-hmm. So, um, without, without any details, like I really can't have an opinion that matters. Um, look, I, I will say though, but people have to be careful when they hear contact contract tampering, because that's a legal, that's a, that's, that's a legal term and definition and simply having a conversation with someone and asking them how they're doing and you know whether or not they're happy and you know how you feel about your current situation is not tampering now if it comes from you know Stephanie or a Triple H or somebody that reports directly to them and it's not part of an ongoing relationship and a natural flow of conversation yeah you can probably start painting a picture if it happens a number of times and you can establish a fact pattern and all that um, or, or, or perhaps somebody actually leaves who is arguably under contract, then you've got something to sink your teeth into from a legal perspective, but merely having a conversation with, especially when everybody knows everybody anyway, some of these people have been friends for five, 10, 15, 20 or more years, you know, to expect that they're not going to have some conversations is silly. And it's also not illegal unless there are specific actions that someone like in for in this example if WWE you know and reaches out to an agent and starts offering money that's a different situation that could be considered tampering because now you're really negotiating with somebody who's technically under contract if you if you know that they're under contract um but if it's just hey how are you you know when your deal's up let us know that there's nothing wrong with that yeah, that's not illegal, and it happens every day. Um, well, I don't know if it happens every day, but it happens pretty regularly. I'm sure it happens amongst weekly. friends. But yeah. again, now it's contract tampering, and of course Tony Khan trying to, you know, 
position himself and, you know, create this WWE AEW competition in his mind. Um, sure. I, I mean, I don't blame him for it. I would, you know, if I was Tony, I'd do the same thing. Um, cause it gets you attention. It gets people talking about you. It creates a buzz. Sure. Go ahead. Throw that out there, but it doesn't mean that there's any real truth to it. And by the way, if you're talent in AEW and you want to kind of position yourself in a highly favorable way with, in this case, Tony Khan, are you going to suggest that there are people from WWE reaching out to talk to you? Sure you are. Especially if you're going to go back and say, Hey, Tony, guess what? You know, I love you, man. I love working here. This is, I'm going to end my career here, Tony, but I just, because I love you so much because, you know, I feel so strongly about this company. I feel incumbent upon me to let you know what's going on. Sure. That's smart too. Doesn't mean there's anything to it, but that kind of shit happens. Folks welcome behind the scenes in the world of professional wrestling and probably a lot of other forms of, of entertainment. It's posturing, it's leveraging, it's positioning, it's marketing. It's all of the above. Kind of funny. It is a little you, funny. And let me ask you another thing. Do you think WWE, as sophisticated as WWE is, and they are, as a business, right? I mean, there are some really, really, really smart people there that have a lot of experience do you think that they're going to fuck up like that? Do you think they're going to step over that line knowing that it's going to be made public? Cause you know, it is. Do you, do you think they're going to step over that line when they don't need to? No, they're not. This is a figment of a bunch of people's imaginations who decided to take, take advantage of it for their own respect. Tony, for his own reasons, you know, certain talent within AEW for their own reasons. And the internet audience just sucks it up because it's something else we can talk about. So let's talk about where we are in the Monday night wars. You guys were back head to head on September 8th and it set a new margin of victory for nitro. You nearly doubled their audience. Nitro got a 4.27 rating and a 6.73 share. That's their second best rating ever head to head. Meanwhile, raw does a 2.15 and a 3.39 share. Your replay almost beats them. It gets a 1.9 and a 3.67 share. So it actually gets a bigger share than they do and nearly the rating they did. Like raw's first hour does a 2.1 and their second hour does a 2.2. Your freaking replay. The first hour does a 2.8. This is the largest margin of victory ever. And you've had two of your biggest audiences in history prior to this, where they were preempted because of tennis. But now that you're back head to head, buddy, you thumped them. And it, it, you know, it's really, I mean, it's fun to think about, right? But was even more interesting is I, I went back yesterday. I found some information that I, that I think is pretty accurate. And I went back and looked at WCW's ratings for WC, WCW Saturday night, because that was our flagship show before Nitro, right? 605 Eastern Saturday night. That was WCW. Everything else was kind of a 
uh, like this Sunday night main event, even though it was on TBS Sunday night, but it was really a clip show with one original match usually. Um, but WCW Saturday night was the number one show in WCW before Nitro. I went back and compared WCW Saturday night's ratings to Monday night's Raw's ratings because, it, you know, in the discussion about ratings and what it means and, well, you know, with streaming and all these other ways of people getting television, you know, ratings don't really matter anymore. And you can't really compare Nitro to AEW or current Monday Night Raw because that was then and this is now. So I went, okay, I'm going to take the that was then, this is now element out of the conversation. Let's just look and see what WCW Saturday Night did compared to Monday Night Raw in prime time. Okay. Do you know that WCW before Nitro in 1994, when I was, I think, senior vice president, executive producer, had 82% of Monday Night Raw's audience? Oh, wow. Rating to rating. I went through 52 weeks. Now, I eliminated the weeks where Raw was preempted and WCW wasn't because that's unfair. Yeah. And vice versa. Uh, or if there was a week or two where there was no data available, I just eliminated it from the average for both companies. And in fact, I think I have it right here. Just for those of you that are interested, because I know people are fascinated talking about ratings. So the average, oh, excuse me, this is 1993. This is 1993. I haven't done 94 yet. 1993, when I was first made executive producer, really wasn't involved in anything creatively. Um, Monday Night Raw had an average rating of 2.98. WCW Saturday night, not in prime time, and the worst probable night you could think of for wrestling almost yeah. at a 2.47. So while the margin of victory in this particular episode was obviously pretty cool, especially because it was head to head. I mean, that makes it really meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. But as a percentage of WWE's audience, WCW wasn't as, I mean, I was surprised when I went back and looked at it, I went, holy shit, that's a lot closer than I went. Now there's other metrics, right? That you should consider their pay-per-view, you know, outperformed our pay-per-views substantially because they were better at it. Um, we didn't have licensing and merchandising, so you couldn't compare anything there. So the only real thing that you can talk about is, is ratings as we are here. And it's surprising just how well WCW was doing back in 1993 when we had 80% of their audience. It's uh it's fascinating to look at the ratings and, and I want to continue to uh, break down the role that WCW was on. But right now I want to encourage everyone to, uh, take a word from our sponsor. Mental health is important in professional wrestling. And we've seen some wrestlers take some time off to deal with their mental health and put themselves first and prioritize that over just their career. But it's not something that's unique to wrestling. It's something that we're seeing more and more athletes speaking about, you know, the importance of mental health. But the reality is you don't have to be a pro to want to be at the top of your game. The reality is everyone needs to take care of their mental well-being, whether you're an athlete or not. And therapy, in my opinion, is the best way to stay in peak mental shape. And this is something that I struggled with back in 2006. Uh, I actually sought out professional help for the first time and wasn't really sure about it. 
a man just talking to somebody and getting a fresh perspective was very, very valuable for me. And I can't recommend it enough. I, I was going, I had just finished a, a, a relationship and wasn't really sure, Hey man, how do I move forward with this? And how do I compartmentalize it? And I just didn't have the coping skills at the time. And the benefit of talking to someone who didn't know anyone involved and just sharing the way you feel and getting that direction, man, it just eliminated a lot of my stress. It eliminated a lot of my worry, my wonder and the weight. And I can't recommend it enough. If you're stressed out, if you've got some emotional stuff, maybe it's family or it's relationship. Maybe you've got some anxiety or depression. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, better help is a great option. It's convenient. It's accessible. It's affordable. And by the way, it's entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can even switch therapists anytime. So when you're ready to feel at the top of your mental health game, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H E L P.com slash 83 weeks, betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. Let's talk about the finances here in WCW because you're on quite a roll. Um, now of course these numbers are going to continue to grow, right? But September 7th in Chicago, you're at the United center. You've got 9,905 fans there for 184 grand and another $88,000 in merchandise. The next day in Milwaukee, 8,596 fans paying 190 grand, another 53,000 in merch. Um, everywhere you go, you're getting these six figure houses and that used to be a real rarity. You would get really close to hitting seven figures a few times. But once upon a time, just hitting a hundred thousand dollars at the gate would have been high fives all around the office. Would it not Eric? Yeah. And you know, a couple of things that are interesting about what you just said, Milwaukee is really a suburb of Chicago. Yes. I mean, it's only an hour away. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not like, you know, we did Chicago and then the next night we were in Denver, we did Chicago and then we played them, you know, following week or whatever it was an hour away. <laughs> it's it's almost the same market. Um, it is fascinating. And, you know, you point out, you know, we never hit seven figures, but we're talking about 1990s dollars here. Yes. You know, if you adjusted for inflation to compare truly apples to apples well today, over. we we busted that a number of times. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I think we would have. I don't know. Um, I'm sure somebody out there is going to bust my balls and tell me why I'm wrong. It's just cool. Just listen. I don't care if you bust my balls or not based on what I say on this show. Just listen to the show so that you can bust my balls. That's okay too. I'm good with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great feeling and it was a great time. Really was September 8th. Uh, the show is going to open nitro. This is the go home episode for fall brawl. It opens with, uh, the tape of the horseman spoof. But the horsemen come out, get it shut off, and go to the ring for an interview. Meltzer would say Hennig, McMichael, and Benoit had nothing to say, and the segment was a real disappointment until Flair gave a classic interview. They said they wouldn't leave until the NWO came out, but then security came out and they left, and that part was weird. Later in the show, Nash and Six said they had better things to do, but Conan and Bagwell accept the challenge. Meltzer would say steel field. The show begged for Arn Anderson to do an interview announcing he'd be in the horseman corner on the pay-per-view. 
it is kind of hard to argue, especially with the benefit of hindsight here, Eric, Arn needed a retort. I mean, why wouldn't he have had a response promo, even if he's not going to be in the cage, just to say he'd be in their corner. That feels like a miss to me. Is it not? I think so. I think you're right. I would agree with that. And certainly I don't know if there was a reason for it or not. I don't know if it had been discussed or not, Right. but whether it did or whether, whether it was, or wasn't, you know, discussed, um, I mean, that was the inciting incident, right? Yes. That promo and making, you know, disrespecting Arn as effectively as was done on television and, and, and as, you know, entertaining as that was, it created a lot of heat. And to not have Arn be a part of that equation, I think I would agree with you, was a missed opportunity. Well, here's what's interesting about that. Um, it feels like. I don't know. This is the beginning of a, a really bad ending to a pay-per-view to me. Just the whole story from here on out is a fumble. I mean, I, I, well, we're going to get into it. But Tony has a great line at the end asking why security is here now. And not last week when the NWO stood in the ring for eight minutes, by the way, it's not just about this. Nitro is not just about this horseman NWO storyline, which is great. But it's also about Ray Mysterio Jr. coming back and pinning Eddie Guerrero with a springboard Hurricane Rana in eight minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say Ray was tentative in spots and unsure of his knee holding up because of the nervousness. He missed some of the spots. And Meltzer would say, where Mysterio Jr. is the best in the world, he is the single best at recovering and reacting in midair and turning a missed spot into a new move. Good match. I just recently watched the A&E. And I think everybody should go out of their way to watch it. It's an A and E special that you participated in, uh, called WWE legends. And it's a biography piece about Ray Mysterio and my gosh, what a career he's had, what a story he's had to see him at 14 years old, flying around doing what he's doing in his very first match. And I mean, you can't overstate how undersized he was. And if you thought he was quote unquote small, when he debuted in WCW, imagine seven years prior when he's a 14 year old, but he, you could see it even then and edge even called him. Hey, he's our Spider-Man. I mean, except we don't need CGI. We just need Ray Mysterio. Even after he's coming back from a knee injury like this, there's still something about him, man. And this was 25 years ago. And we're still talking about him today. Yeah. I mean, look, in my opinion, Ray Mysterio is in a category all by himself. I agree. He has no peer. When it comes to his particular style of wrestling and the influence that he's had on the mainstream American audience, even outside of wrestling, Rey Mysterio, I think, is probably more directly responsible for the success of Lucha in the United States than any single individual that anybody can name. And his, again, his physical skills in the ring, incomparable. But what makes Rey Mysterio even more of a, I hate to use the word phenom, sorry, Taker, but phenom is the charisma. Mm -hmm. And here's a guy, I mean, you feel Rey Mysterio even under a mask where you can't see his facial expressions, right? You're pulling for Rey Mysterio 
partially because he's the underdog in terms of his size, but then he over delivers in terms of what he can do in the ring and he can be a giant killer and you believe in him. So he establishes that connection with the audience in a way that very few performers, even great performers can as consistently as Ray did and still does. Um, But that charisma combined with that just mind blowing ability and and psychology. He's just not out there doing, I mean, arguably, they're 80% of a Rey Mysterio match is a high spot. But it's a high spot with psychology. Yes. And therein lies the difference. A lot of people who are today imitating that style or adapting that style, not imitating it, forget the part where there has to be psychology and emotion other than this is awesome. That's a holy shit moment, right? That's started in ECW, and it was kind of like the measure of whether something was good or not as to whether or not you could get people to chance holy shit or this is awesome. And that's cool, but not if it's at the expense of storytelling in the ring and psychology, because that's what creates emotion and connects the audience to a performer in a long-term meaningful way not in a moment in time because they're seeing something death defying and sometimes stupid um, in the ring for the sake of a, this is awesome chant. Ray was able to do all of that incredibly risky and dynamic and, and up until that point, never seen before type of presentation, at least to the American audience, but he could do it with psychology and story and charisma. That's what sets Ray Mysterio apart from everybody else. My opinion, whatever it's worth. Well said, well said, uh, DDP does an interview challenging Lex Luger to a match. Luger accepts Meltzer would say the crowd was surprisingly subdued for both and really didn't care to see them wrestle. And this is kind of crazy because they both had incredible years here in 1997, but at this point it feels more about NWO versus WCW. We don't want to see WCW versus WCW. Was that a challenge for you? Is that something you could have even expected that the NWO angle became so hot and so intriguing and fans were so invested that the WCW versus WCW stuff almost became kind of filler until there was more NWO WCW action. Honest answers. There's no way I could have anticipated it because none of us knew that the NWO would take off as big as it did. Right. We thought it would be really a, a really strong angle. That maybe would last three months, four months, six months. None of us knew. None of us anticipated. So we obviously couldn't anticipate, or I couldn't, the manifestation of all the things that would be affected. Um, and certainly, you're right, man. That's a great observation. Um, and I thought, actually, re- reviewing this show um, for this podcast, it's one of the things I noticed. Is man. It's, these guys that are just WCW versus WCW, even there's a story and great action and all that, they're 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 digging, trying to get a reaction. So it was really hard. I could see it watching the show back, and I can only imagine what that felt like as talent, right? Yeah, it's like God. What do you got to? What do you got to do? <laughs> you know. Hugh Morris pins Disco. Alex Wright's involved. Nobody cares. Uh, Nash and Conan come out for their promo. They're still dressed as the horsemen from last week. Pretty gutsy call here. 
We see Jericho keep the cruiserweight title, beating Brad Armstrong by DQ because Guerrero interferes. You don't really get much going. It's only two minutes before it happens. And then we see Hogan come out and challenge sting, but sting's not there. Meltzer would say they're doing an angle where there's a mole in WCW letting the NWO know when sting isn't there. So Hogan can make the challenges. A mannequin dressed as sting fell from the ceiling and crashed on the floor. And Hogan acted concerned as if it was a mistake before revealing it was a mannequin and slapping and leg, leg dropping the mannequin while Bischoff with a ref shirt counted the pen. This is hilarious shit. I want to remind everybody, this is 1997. This is years before the Owen circumstance. This is not done in poor taste. This is a straight comedy segment out of something from super Dave Osborne. And it really, really worked. I thought it was fantastic. How much fun were you having with this nonsense? It was, it was too much fun. Yeah. And being at ringside when, when that sting dummy came down, cause I, I think Ellis Edwards, who is our, our stunt coordinator at that time, he found, um, a, a dummy that every, every joint, it was like a human being. They use it for like car crash tests and things like that. So you had to be able to measure for testing car crash testing purposes. You had to measure all these different you know, things and how the body's going to react and where arms are going to fly and all that shit. So the entire dummy was fully articulated every joint in it, just like a human being, which when we dropped it, it looked pretty real, right? So for a split second or two or three, even people at ringside, like, Oh, and then to be able to turn that around and turn that shock into heat and comedy for some was, was pretty awesome because it was believable it, for a f- second or two. You could, I, I, cause I was there. You could feel people. Go, it's pretty awesome. The rest of the show is just kind of there. There's some not so great stuff. Uh, the signers go to a no contest with Ming and barbarian when Harlem heat, Jacqueline Mortis and wrath all run in. Super Callow's going to be to, are going to lose to Scott Hall. And then Ray trailer is going to attack Scott Hall. Uh, Hogan's going to distract trailer hall, jumps him, gives him the finish. They spray paint Ray who on his back. Uh, Dean Malenko beats psychosis with a clover leaf at seven minutes and 10 seconds. Um, there's an interesting circumstance that happens here in the middle of this match. There's some outside distractions, including a fan hitting the ring. And Meltzer would say the fan was snatched up by UFC Bantamweight champion, Mark Curtis. He slapped on a front face lock and had him tapping while security nabbed him backstage. The fan explained it was his wife's birthday and he just wanted to get on national TV. And later there were a couple other fights in the crowd. So fans, yeah, were let, me, let me just say, let me just say what an asshole this guy is. It's my wife's birthday. So I, for her birthday, the gift I'm going to give her is a reminder. What an asshole she married. I'm going to get in the ring and get my ass kicked on TV. Oh, honey. Thank you. Oh, you're such a wonderful husband. You've embarrassed my entire family. All of our friends are embarrassed. Thank you, honey. What a dipshit. No kidding. I mean, first of all, shouldn't you be home with your wife? Why are you here? Uh, but let's talk about, I love this, this joke. UFC Bantamweight champion, Mark Curtis. Now, in case you're not familiar, he's not a Bantamweight (laughs) champion. That's the the tiniest referee WCW ever did have. And boy, he took care of this fan in no time. 
that had to get him some props backstage. Did it not? He was, you know, Mark was a really, really well liked, loved referee. Anyway, he was just, and he's, he's no longer with us, but Mark was one of those people that just everybody enjoyed being around Mark. He was just a super, super nice guy. And he was very good at what he did. He wasn't in that role just because everybody liked him. Everybody liked him because he was so good and he was a nice guy. Um, but yeah, when you're like a buck 30 <laughs> and you're in the ring with guys that are like 250 and 280 or whatever, and you're the one that snatches the asshole. Yeah, that's kind of, that's cool. I, I imagine he got some big props when, when he got backstage. <sighs> too gone, gone too soon. Next up, we got Roddy Piper who comes out for an interview announcing that uh, he's the new commissioner since uh, JJ Dillon was injured by Hulk Hogan and, uh, Meltzer would be critical of Piper always. His promos were always fun, but Meltzer wasn't always a fan. He made his typical dated references to John Belushi and animal house, the Brady bunch. And he mentioned he used to be the WWF commissioner. Aside from that, his interview was much better than it's been of late. He announced as putting himself in a cage against Hulk Hogan at Halloween havoc that he would sign Hogan to wrestle sting before the year 1997 and Gene Okerlund corrects him and says, you mean before the end of 1997? And he says he's putting the horsemen into war games and taking Luger and page out. So even though maybe he's all over the place in the promo, he accomplishes a lot. He tells us exactly what's happening. We're going to get Hogan and sting by the end of the year. We know that's going to be Starcade. So he's effectively here in September announcing the October main event for Halloween havoc and essentially the December main event. And oh, by the way, the show that happens in six days, I'm changing that too. Luger and page are out. The horsemen are in and Roddy being Roddy for this promo mentions the WWF. Did you ever tell him not to mention the WWF? You know, I, I, probably. Yeah. You know, was it an ongoing issue that I had to deal with and get Nick Lambros involved and his agent involved and all that? Um, no, but I mean, we, look, we had a conversation with everybody because of the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. We had to be super, as I talked about when we were talking about ECW and Paul Heyman threatening litigation, that was a real thing. You know, we were under a microscope from Turner legal and had a, a real, um, strong set of parameters that we weren't allowed to work outside of. And one of those is, you know, naming WWF in particular or any other talent by their character names. And we, we had that conversation with everybody, but yeah, you know, Roddy was Roddy. Shit happens. Yes, it does. Uh, the shit's going to continue to happen here. We're going to see flair and Henning beat uh, Conan and Bagwell in nine minutes and 25 seconds when Henning pins Conan with the fisherman suplex. Meltzer would say pretty good in spots, not so good in others, average all around. Um, we talked a few weeks ago that this to a lot of fans and maybe the critics didn't feel like the Kurt Henning of old, you positioned him here and he was in the WWF at different times as both a baby face and heel. He's positioned kind of as a baby face here, but I've always felt like Kurt was at his best when he was a heel. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, because that was really more true. I mean, Kurt was a wonderful guy. He was a great, he was a great guy. He was that guy you you wanted to go out on a Friday or Saturday night with and hang out with. 
he was that guy you'd want to go to a Hank Williams Jr. concert with. You know, he was that, or go hunting or fishing. He was that guy. Um, but he was such a smart ass and so funny that he just made a better heel. He just did. It's like his dad. His dad, Larry the Axe, one of my favorite heels. Not the favorite, but one of my favorite heels. And I think Kurt, you know, growing up watching Larry the Axe, kind of just was born to be a heel. And he yeah. was just better at it. He could do both, but he was just better at being a heel. Well, let's talk about the main event. Uh, but before we do, I want to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by car shield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. Did you know car shield is the number one auto protection company in the U S and they offer protection plans for only around a hundred bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has just 5,000 miles or even 150,000 miles. And let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and car shields, administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taking care of. And the same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road plans through car shield also include coast to coast roadside assistance. Car shield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost too. get coverage today. And you'll lock in your price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car. No matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So the main event here is, uh, on this go home edition of nitro is DDP. And Lex Luger, they go to a new contest. It's pretty anticlimactic. The NWO attacks both guys. Giant comes in for the save. And the show ends with Luger and Paige shaking hands. And Meltzer would say there were even loud, boring chants before the run-in. And he would say Luger is actually getting worse, as even the few things he does don't look good. And I just want to remind everybody, we're just a few weeks away from him headlining Nitro 100, the first ever three hour nitro and ultimately beating Hulk Hogan for the big gold belt. He was never hotter than last month. And a month later, we're chanting boring at him. How does this happen, Eric? Oh gosh. I don't know. Different markets, you know, every, every, every market, every city town venue has its own personality its own stuff. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe Lex just didn't have a great night that night. I don't know. Um, hard to say, but, but Lex, in my opinion, 97 was an amazing year for Lex. You know, he, he was never going to be, you know, an Eddie Guerrero or Ray Mysterio or you know, a Kurt angle, you know, even a Jeff Jarrett, he wasn't that worker, right? He, that's not what he was. He was a character. He was impressive. He, he worked, he, he worked. And if somebody was coming to a Lex Luger match and expecting to see a five-star match, they were going to be disappointed. But if you were coming to be a part of the story and enjoy the direction and wonder what was going to happen next and, and watch some guys that had credibility in the ring while Lex again, wasn't, you know, one of those five-star wrestlers, he certainly had credibility. 
So I, I who knows what happened on that particular night or why people were crowning or, or chanting boring. I have no idea. I could see how, if you're a guy like Lex Luger, who's been pretty consistent at this point and last month, he's super beloved and celebrated And a month later, they're, they're chanting boring at him. I could see how you'd become a little jaded and be like, fuck it. I can only do my best. It is what it is, but that's gotta be a demotivator for a guy, right? I don't think so. Okay. Not a guy like Lex. You know, Lex is a pro. I mean, he, look, he college football spent, spent a minute or two as a pro football player. Oh yeah. I think you, you, you think, you know, guys like that aren't used to criticism from coaches or fans or teammates or, or just having a bad day and dealing with it. You know, clearly Lex had a bad day at that particular outing. Do I think he went home and beat his head on hard, sharp objects in, in, you know, anguish over it? <laughs> no. Noted it and moved on. Let's talk about, uh, the pay-per-view. We're finally here and, uh, it's an interesting show. I want to remind everybody that this show does 195,000 buys for whatever reason. It's down from road wild the month prior. Now we all poke fun at road wild. Maybe it was that Lex Luger thing that got him so hot. You know, the, the WCW guy has the big bull belt. What's going to happen either way. They did 240,000 for road wild. And even the prior year, fall brawl 96, where the NWO was just heating up. And we thought maybe sting was a turncoat. They did 230,000 buys. This does 195. Now, some of this could also be the WWF. Now we're alternating weeks. Like the prior week, they ran their ground zero pay-per-view, uh, which for whatever it's worth, we're covering this week with Jim Ross tune in to grilling Jr. this Thursday. And they did 126,000 buys, but to see that it feels like you're losing momentum year over year, that almost never happens from 96 to 97, but it does here. Do you think the horsemen just weren't that over? Is it the NWO thing is growing a little stale? Is there a sameness to it? Is it the time of year? I mean, it couldn't be the time of year because it was hotter last year. How do you reconcile that in your head? How 96 beat 97? That's hard to imagine. Yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, I can take some wild ass guesses, you know, um, I, I think, look, I love the story. You know, I, I love the parody that set up this pay-per-view there was strong emotion. We'll see it on screen here, or we'll talk about what we saw on screen here shortly. Um, there were a lot of great things about it. And what I'm going to say is not going to be well received by certain people. And I understand why. So I will apologize in advance. I'm trying to give an honest perspective on something that happened 25 years ago. It's not personal folks. It's just not. But I will say that the four horsemen were a really big deal and emotionally, you know, the audience in the Southeast part of the United States, four horsemen were everything for a period of time. They were the shit. They weren't in 97. They just weren't to the net, to the broader national audience. They were and because of the story and this angle and the parody and the way it was produced and executed, there was a ton of heat with four horsemen fans, very effective. 
but I don't think that extended to the national audience because the national audience didn't care. So it's more of a function of booking a card maybe for the house as opposed to the pay-per-view. No, I no. I, and look, if, if this pay-per-view would have taken place in Dallas, we would have done the same thing. If it would have taken place in Des Moines, we would have done the same. I'm not the saying story that. was the story. I didn't, I didn't book for markets. Right. Well, it works locally. I want to mention you have a, a full house. It's sold out 11,939 fans. There's a gate of $213,330, which is more than the prior year's war games, which by the way, was in the same building, but now it's at a much higher gross because we've increased our ticket prices. Um, Meltzer would say in all the WCW print advertising in the market, they listed Hulk Hogan as appearing on the show, which is blatant false advertising because it was known for months that he was skipping the show. Things are subject to change. Dave, you know how that works, right? Plans change, bitch. Oh my gosh. That was aggressive. Um, Meltzer would call the show a typical WCW offering a strong undercard with the match quality in the so-so range after the midpoint. The general reports were favorite, but or f- were favorable, but not enthusiastically. So in this case, the main event was the show was built. The, the show was built around as war games, and it was among the worst war games ever, but the ending and post-match were among the most dramatic. The result is a 68% thumbs up. Um, Meltzer would say the general belief as to why the teams in war games weren't announced until the day before the show is only partly the typical lack of organization, but also because of the way the nitro hype was going to make people think that perhaps Hogan and sting could have been on opposite sides until the complete lineup was made six days prior because of an angle during the show that involved Larry Zabisco. He was brought in to do color instead of dusty roads, which turns out to be a major plus the booking was top notch in those matches that needed controversial finishes for storyline reasons. And the waters weren't muddied underneath where it seemed like screw job city because everything underneath was a clean finish. So he's given you your, your, your props, but I do want to ask about not announcing it because these days now, of course, as you and I are recording this, uh, we are hours away from dynamite airing as the go home episode for that program before the AEW pay-per-view all out. But as we're talking. We've heard the rumor in innuendo that it's going to be CM Punk and John Moxley, but that might not actually be the main event. You and I don't know as we're recording by now it's already happened. My point is that's not the norm in the way you promote a wrestling pay-per-view. You get your main event announced well in advance. And I'm going to take some criticism because we just announced our Ric Flair's last match full main event. I don't know, two or three weeks in advance. And maybe it should have been older, but I wanted, since I don't have TV and promoting that everybody knows Ric Flair's in there. What's it going to look like? We've told the story through the docu series. We've covered that before. Either way, in a traditional sense, usually you have an idea at least a month in advance. I mean, heck earlier in this very program, we talked about, Hey, uh, I'm Roddy Piper and I'm going to take on Hulk Hogan at the end of October. It's still early September when we're doing that. So we know well in advance what the main event is going to be And here. We know it's a war games, but we don't really know all of the opponents and, and all the, the, the components of that match. And just six days before Roddy Piper reshuffles the deck that had to hurt some of the sales, right? I mean, that has to be one of the reasons the buys are down because we don't, we can't really market something we haven't announced, right? 
no way I could argue that. Yeah. No way. You're absolutely right. It, it now, how big of a factor was it? Was it a hundred percent of the reason why we took a you know a dive from the previous year? I, I guess you could argue that it would be. We'll never know. Could it be that perhaps my perspective on the four horsemen being a very, very hot local by local, I mean, regional Southeast part of the United States. I don't mean in that market, but could my position that they just, the, the four horsemen just didn't mean enough on a national level. Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. We never did, you know, a, a postmortem as to why, but I, I would, That would be my first reason, the fact that we didn't have a focused main event that we were building towards with personal issues between the principals involved and the audience was engaged in that story and wanted to tune in for the resolution. It's a basic fundamental formula for pay-per-view. And we didn't offer that for whatever reason. I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm struggling with why I'm hesitating while I'm answering one question is because I'm trying to figure out how the fuck did that happen? Why didn't we know? I mean, was there an issue going on with talent? Was there an injury involved? Was, you know, it's, it's not like we wouldn't have, you know, thought about it, talked about it because normally we did. So there had to be a reason. I'm just, as I sit here right now, I'm, I'm not sure what it would have been, but it, it doesn't matter. I would agree. I would agree with the, the, the assessment that not having that focus pay-per-view that people could buy into it and created the res, the desire to see the resolution that was lacking had to be a big, big part. Well, I'm not going to say that it was the end all be all. I mean, let's be clear. You did sell the show out. And as we're talking right now, if WrestleMania isn't completely sold out this coming year, it's darn close to it. And we have no foggy idea what that's going to look like. There's lots of rumor and innuendo, but man, we're so far away. And I do think there's something too. there's a brand. And when the brand gets hot, people don't have to know what it is. And they'll still buy a ticket that's been proven with WrestleMania for years and years. And in this case. The prior war games was so strong. You sold it out with higher ticket prices, probably well in advance because you just knew WCW is coming to town and it's going to be a big pay-per-view. And last year was awesome. So we buy it this year as well. Let's talk about the matches. The first one is a great opener. It's Eddie Guerrero capturing the cruiserweight title from Chris Jericho. And they get plenty of time, 17 minutes and 19 seconds. It's a really great match. I encourage you to go back and watch it. I might even go so far as to say it was my favorite on the whole show. It got three and three quarter stars. I don't think I'll ever get tired of watching Eddie Guerrero wrestle. And Chris Jericho is not yet my favorite version of him. I'll always love that smart ass 1998 version of Chris Jericho, but we're getting there and you can see the evolution of him as a very talented young performer trying to steal the show in the opening match here, Eric, you just recently watched this show. What'd you think watching these guys tear it up? I, I, I'm like you, man, when it's, it, especially Eddie Guerrero no, no, no disrespect to Chris. Cause I love watching Chris work. I, I love watching going back and watching him work. I still love watching him work today in AEW. Um, I'll make that clear, but what I see Eddie and it's obviously because he's no longer here, you know, it, it creates a special feeling, but I get lost in his matches. And I mean, in a good way, I get sucked into those matches and even watching this match, it's like, oh my God, was he good. Every time I see an Eddie match, I'm like for the first time realizing just how great he was, even though I go back and watch him 
you know, probably 15 times or 20 times a year with you. And every one of those times I, I walk away feeling like, man, I, he's so great. And I didn't appreciate it as much as I do in this moment. And it's just hard to, you know, there's so many things I liked about this match. And again, this, the psychology, the storytelling in that match. And, and here's why I was so excited to watch that because it wasn't just Eddie and Chris and their amazing talent and their ability to tell a story and their psychology as performers, because I think in this match, it's nobody comes close in terms of this particular match. The psychology and the storytelling in this match was phenomenal. I don't think anybody else on the card had anything remotely close to it, maybe in the entire year. I don't know. It was that good. But it was the little things Mm -hmm. that I noticed watching it back that made it so good. And one of them is Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay. Now, Tony Schiavone was doing a great job being what I consider the play-by-play guy. He's the traffic cop. He's setting up your color commentators. He's bringing the audience into the arena and making them feel like they're there. Tony was more of a classic, not completely, but more of a classic play-by-play guy, in my opinion. Other people like different shit, too. It doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just telling you what I liked in this match. But between Tanay and Bobby, filling in mostly Bobby when it comes to what's going on inside of Chris Jericho's mind and what does Chris Jericho need to do? Because Bobby could have that perspective, you know, and and not only is a seasoned color commentator, but Bobby had spent time in the ring. Bobby had credibility with the audience. So when Bobby Heenan is telling you what must be going on inside of the mind of Chris Jericho or what's going on inside of the mind of Eddie Guerrero, it sucks you into the psychology that you're seeing happen in inside of the ring and it makes it richer and, and, and gives it layers and allows the audience to go. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what Chris Jericho's thinking, or that's what Eddie Guerrero is feeling right now because Bobby gives you the permission and the perspective to believe it. So they, they, today and Bobby did such a great job and most people that have never produced wrestling and just watch it for the fun, don't even really understand why they like it. They might not see that the way I do. And maybe it's because I have a particular fondness for that aspect of the production, but I think Bobby and, and today had the equivalent of the Eddie Jericho match at the broadcast booth. That's how good that was. It made it tied everything together and it sucked me in because guy, you know, I'm, I maybe didn't even watch the match when it happened live. I might've been a little busy. So for me, watching this match was like seeing it for the first time. And it was so good. It was so good. Go, go to Peacock 1843. You know, just look at the sequence of events that took place. You know, Eddie's, crossed on the ropes, right? Jericho shaking the ropes, making it more and more painful. You know, a couple things happen. What I here? I got some notes here. Uh, Jericho got, goes to do a, a springboard, springboard drop kick, you know, misses it. It's, it's just go back and watch it. I can't do a good job describing it, but just look at the setup for that particular series of, of, of 
moves in action. And while none of it is, holy shit, this is awesome. It's not that. But it is so rich in terms of its psychology and storytelling and executed athletically. I don't know how it could have been executed any better. Just go, please. If you're listening to this, go to Peacock, please go and at least listen to the commentary on this match. Enjoy the match because the match is like phenomenal, Mm -hmm. but listen, almost listen to it instead of watch it and see how that commentary makes you feel. That's what I missed today. And it, look, it's the evolution of the industry. I'm not blaming anybody. You know, Tony Schiavone's got more talent in his left hand than I have in my whole body. I get it. Um, Michael Cole, you know, anybody that's announcing today has more, more, more talent than I've ever had. But something missing. And when you go back and watch this match and listen to Bobby and Tony and Tanae, Maybe you'll agree with me. Let's, uh, let's touch on the heel Eddie Guerrero here, because I know everybody really talks about next month. Uh, we're going to have October of 97 roll around, and it's going to be arguably one of the greatest matches WCW or professional wrestling ever had with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Just unbelievable but it almost overshadows this match. But I think if you go back and you watch this one, which you've advocated for, I'm glad you did. We get to really see the start of this Eddie Guerrero heel turn. Fantastic work. Go out of your way to see it. Uh, and by the way, I feel like we're giving a lot of little Easter eggs in here that might even qualify as trivia. Uh, are you a fan of professional wrestling? Of course you are. That's why you're listening to this podcast. And whether you're a fan of the wrestling companies today, or like me, you were glued to your TV on Monday nights and your favorite wrestlers are no longer active. We have the perfect free mobile game for both you and all of your friends on Android's Google play and Apple's app store. It's ultimate wrestling trivia. Feel the flood of memories come rushing back as you get to test your knowledge on all things from the world of professional wrestling by playing ultimate wrestling trivia. You're not alone in this quest. They've enlisted the help of more than 30 of their famous friends to ask some of the questions and cheer you on. They'll celebrate when you answer a question correctly or bust your chops. When you get one wrong, this game has multiple former world champions, like hall of famers too: Kevin Nash, Eric Bischoff, Tony Atlas, big Papa pump, Scott Steiner, and Jerry, the King Lawler download the ultimate wrestling trivia today and see where you stack up against the competition on the leaderboard. Search ultimate wrestling trivia in the Apple app store or Google play store or go to ultimatewrestlingtrivia.com for more info. If you like trivia, you're going to love Ultimate Wrestling Trivia, the free mobile game with over 10,000 questions, more than 650 video questions, and over 30 wrestlers and legends, including our very own Easy E. Find out who knows more wrestling trivia between you and your friends when you all play and join the same faction. To download, just search Ultimate Wrestling Trivia in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store or go to ultimatewrestlingtrivia.com for more information. And here's a little trivia note for you. The next match, it's the Steiners and the Harlem Heat, the flag bearers of the tag team division for so long here in WCW. Meltzer liked it pretty well. The Steiners get the win in 11 minutes and 44 seconds. He gave it two and a quarter stars, called it a back and forth hard hitting match with good heat. Uh, or these guys never had a bad match or it didn't seem to me the Steiners and Harlem heat just always clicked. Would you agree with that? I would. 
And one of the things, I mean, I really enjoyed this match as well. Um, it was a basic, solid, traditional wrestling match, but with the Steiners and Harlem Heat, you get those explosive moves every now and then, you know, to keep it energized and, 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 and keep you engaged uh, with the physical presentation. But what I liked about it the most is it really contrasted the style that we saw in the match right before it. You know, in my opinion, you can't just like have a fan, you know, the, the type of match that we saw with Jericho and Eddie, which was a, a more physically dynamic match and presentation, right? And then raise the bar even more so in the same way the next match and continue trying to rate. You can't do that. You've got to have a little bit of a an ebb and a flow emotionally in terms of presentation and, and having contrasting matches is a great way to do it. And these four guys are talking about the Steiners and Harlem heat, tons of credibility, great performers. They were over with, with the audience, a, a tremendous match, but a, a match that contrasted what we just saw. And I, I really liked the placement of it there. And Kevin, Terry, the team did a great job with that. That wasn't my call. It was theirs. And that was a, I liked where that match was. I think it made the match even more enjoyable because we, we weren't seeing something very similar to what we had just seen before it. Let's mention, uh, the next match is going to be something totally different. It's Alex Wright with the TV title taking on Ultimo dragon. They go 18 minutes and 43 seconds, which seems like a long match, but Meltzer dug it. He gave it three and a half stars. He says, Mike today did explain because it was on pay-per-view. It had an extended time limit from the TV title. So it's not just a 10 minute match. Now it's a 15 minute match or a 10 or 15 for a TV show. Never mind. The point is he's saying those bullshit TV rules don't apply. We're on pay-per-view. That's Damn right. That's a nice touch from a guy who's really paying attention. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm not sliding anybody else by saying that, but I'm saying forever and ever, if you've kept up with this, you know, that the TV title can only change hands in the first 10 minutes. So if the champ loses in 12 minutes, he doesn't lose the belt. And a lot of times they would even have a 10 minute time limit or a 15 minute time limit, but here plenty of time, 1843 on paper. Does that stick out to you? Who would have helped put together the pacing and timing of this show? Well, the entire team in terms of the the whole show and the pacing and the timing of the show, everybody would have been involved in that, um, from creative to production, uh, Craig Leathers would have had a lot to say about that. Um, so it was a team effort. It wasn't one person sitting there with a right. stopwatch and a pencil trying to figure it out. Um, I like the match. It was, you know, every time, every time I watch Alex, Wright, I get a little twinge of guilt. I just do. It's like, God, he was so good. He had so much potential Yeah. and he never, and I always feel, I feel bad. You know, I didn't bring him out as a dick dancer. I didn't do the dancing beer, Alex, Wright Gimmick and, teen heartthrob stuff. That was your father-in-law, by the way, had a lot to do with that. Um, that wasn't my deal, but so good. And I see him now, even in 2022 and I'm going, man, that kid had so much potential. He just came, came around at the wrong time. He really did. Or whatever timing, timing wasn't his friend. I'm glad he's doing, you know, well now he's got a, a wrestling school in Germany and, still active in the business, but man, you look at the guy, the physical characteristics, the look he had, he had a lot of charisma. And despite the fact that he had an inseam similar to a 
fully grown adult giraffe. Um, he was all legs, but he could still move. And this, what was fun about this is you watch a guy, you know, as big as, you know, I don't know how tall Alex was six, four, six, five. He was a big kid. Yeah. Um, all legs. Um, and ultimate dragon, not so much, but he was able to have a great match with him. And that says a lot about Alex and a lot about Ultimo, who's, you know, pretty, pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. You know, he was pretty amazing, but it was fun to watch. It's a great match. This really is a, a solid wrestling pay-per-view. I mean, you've got lots of really great wrestling on this show and well, we'll keep going. Next up, it's Jeff Jarrett and Dean Malenko, who, by the way, the internet had decided in 1997 was the best wrestler in the world. Dean Malenko won the PWI 500 number one spot. I know it's a quote unquote Mark rag sheet or whatever the fuck the haters want to call it, but it was a big deal. The PWI 500 to wrestling fans who went to the grocery store or went to the bookstore or whatever. And clearly it sold a lot of copies or they wouldn't have continued to do it to this day. But it was normally reserved for whoever the top wrestlers were as far as on the cards, not necessarily in the ring. Dean Malenko was uh, a deviation from that. And boy, they had a great match here, him and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, the, the, the stakes here, because I know you're big on stakes, not just the kinds on rec tech, but you know, what are we fighting for here is to get a U.S. title shot in Las Vegas. So Jarrett's going to tell Deborah McMichael to go to the back before the match starts. Of course, eventually that means she's going to come out. Malenko is distracted by Deborah. Jarrett clips him, puts the figure four on, gets the submission three and a quarter stars. Uh, Jeff's always been very capable in the ring, but Dean Malenko was special and he could do it with smaller guys like Ray Mysterio or bigger guys like Jeff Jarrett. Right? Yeah. Before I get it, before I respond to that, because we skipped over it, there was another important part of this pay-per-view during what is normally just kind of an obnoxious segment, the Gene Oakland hotline segment. Uh, where Gene went back, he, he heard, you know, in, in the shot, the scene opens up, you know, there's you know, Gene Oakland uh, kind of busting Tony Schiavone's balls a little bit for kind of a busted up intro. And then Gene hears, Gene's in the middle of his stuff and he got members of the NWO come by, just blow right by him, you know. And then he hears commotion in Kurt's dressing room or in a dressing room. Gene opens up the door and there's Kurt laying there, all busted up presumably, which kind of helps sets up the finish um, and what happens in the end. I don't want to skip that over, but um, in terms of this match, um, it was so believable. You know, first of all, you know, anybody that's listened to this podcast more than twice knows what a fan I am of Dean Malenko and his mm-hmm. work. He's my style. That's the style of wrestling that I like. Um, I enjoy a lot of other styles, but and when it's a Dean Malenko match, I'm in. I don't care who he's wrestling. I'm just in. Jeff Jarrett, I think, is underrated in terms of his work in the ring. I don't think Jeff was ever the character. You know, he never reached, he never ascended to that main event level for any length of time. But I don't think there's any debate over the question as to whether or not Jeff was one of the best performers in the ring, maybe not one of the best characters, but one of the best performers and to see Jeff work his magic as a heel in this match against, in my opinion, one of the best te- technical wrestlers of his era was a really fun thing to watch. 
really liked it. I wasn't a fan of the Deborah thing. I think we were forcing that. I think it was trying to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the most interesting idea we had. It was kind of like, oh, we got to do something with Deborah. Where can she do the least harm? And still have some resemblance of a reason why in a story. But if you just look at the match and even the finish, it's another example. It's kind of like the Eddie Jericho, you know, sequence of moves that happened off the ring apron that I was referring to earlier, you know, go back and watch this match. I don't know if I have a time code on it. I don't think I do. I don't, but go back and just watch the finish of this match on Peacock. It's not a spectacular. This is awesome. Chant. It wasn't a holy shit moment from ECW, but it was a really, really believable and perfectly executed finish that made you for a moment believe what you were seeing was real. And that's the magic. And guys like Jeff Jarrett and Dean Malenko, because of their experience and their abilities, are able to recreate that magic. And they did it not with something spectacular, something that was really smart, believable, and well-executed. It's really fun to watch. I, uh, I enjoyed this match, and uh, I think these guys are just... I mean, this is the way wrestling should look to me, uh, especially on a pay-per-view, you know, it told a story that was good in-ring action, et cetera, et cetera. But what sticks out to me, dude, is it feels like since you, you have Jeff Jarrett win, you got to think you're going to be able to keep him around. I mean, he's gone in like less than a month, but he's getting the win here. Chat me up about that. What was the, what was the circumstance behind his contractual status? Because it does feel like if you know, he's leaving in a month, well, let's fucking beat him. That doesn't happen. First of all, I was never a fan of that conventional wisdom or lack thereof where up guys leaving, beat them. If it makes sense for the story, beat them. If it doesn't make sense for the story, don't beat them. Um, so I didn't just, my default position was, Oh fuck. He's out the door. We got to make, make him look like a fool. We got to beat him. We got to minimize him. I just never, ever subscribed to that. I didn't think it mattered. It's one of the reasons why when Bret Hart was conflicted and, you know, was worried about what he should do in terms of the title, um, right before he came to WCW, you know, the, the screw job. And I tried to convince Brett, it doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't matter. And whether they wanted to beat Bret Hart, before he came to WCW or not just didn't affect me one way or the other, because I don't believe that that type of thing, I think it's Eddie. I think it makes people feel like they're in power and control and they can exercise that and punish people who, for whatever reason, decide to leave. I was not that person. So in terms of why this thing went the way it went, I don't know. That's a Kevin Sullivan question, right? probably been involved in that finish or discussion of it. Um, I would have approved it or not approved it. Clearly in this case I did, but it just made sense to me. Let's recap where we are so far. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho. We both loved three and three quarters of a star. We both think it's probably the best match on the show. Steiners and Harlem heat classic WCW match, two and a quarter stars. We both dug it. Uh, we both enjoy Ultimo Dragon and think Alex Wright was underutilized. Even if you did give him a bunch of time, he still put together a great match, three and a half stars. And then the one we just talked about, Jarrett and Malenko, nearly 15 minutes. So uh, a lot of time, a lot of great wrestlers, a lot of clean finishes, good stuff. And then the crowd kind of died for Wrath and Mortis taking on Ming and Barbarian. 
this just feels like it's sort of kind of there wrath and mortis get the win, but there's not much to it. And next up, we've got the giant beating Scott Norton in just under five and a half minutes. And Meltzer would call it not bad for what it was, but it does feel like these two matches fall off a cliff compared to the rest of the show so far. And maybe that's one of the reasons that fans started to peter out a little bit, but there is a cool moment here. Giant in his match makes a comeback, uses a nip up and a drop kick. Now that's not something you normally see giants do. We never saw Andre the giant do that. Not saying he couldn't, when he was a younger man, just saying this is, uh, quite a spectacle to see a big man move around like that. Is it not? Yeah. And before we move on a little bit, I want to go back to wrath and, uh, and Mortis against, uh, Ming and barbarian. Look, neither one of those teams were hugely over, right? They were great for the roles that they needed to fill and they were great to work with. You know, the wrath and mortis thing we've talked about at nauseum. It was a, it, it was a great idea. A little too late. The timing was just not right for that gimmick, those characters. But the one thing I do want people to go back and if you're a fan of, um, if you're a fan of the work that Mortis did, go, go back and watch this match. Go back and watch the finish of this match. I guarantee you, Chris, set that finish up. Because mm-hmm. it was a unique finish. It was a very unique finish. Ming had, you know, a double Tongan death grip going on. And it, it, it just, it was, again, nothing spectacular. But as was the case with Chris, he could come up with a really, really interesting way to present something pretty simple. And just make it feel like it was unique and he'd never seen it before. So even though the match was not spectacular wasn't really that meaningful on the pay-per-view. It was just to be honest about it. It was a breather. Yeah. I let was, me out Okay. Match. Let's let the audience settle in because we're going to want to get them fired up and get them out of their seats here shortly. Let's let them settle in a little bit, take a breath. And then we're going to try to knock them out of the chairs again. That's what this match was. But the finish was really cool. It's worth going back and taking a look at. Next up, it's Lex Luger and DDP taking on Scott Hall and Randy Savage. It's a no DQ match. And, uh, that means eventually Scott Hall's just going to straight up beat up Mark Curtis. Mickey J is going to come out and Scott Hall's going to stomp his ass in the head. So Larry Zabisco comes out from the broadcast booth. And of course, Zabisco and Hall have great heat. They're yelling at each other. Zabisco winds up shoving Hall who falls over Luger and Zabisco counts the pin. Of course, Zabisco is not a legal referee, but still, this is a fun little spectacle. It's fun on story. A lot of big stars in here, Luger and DDP after facing each other on nitro, but shaking hands to be, you know, find common ground against the NWO. They're going to take on hall and Savage. who have both been bullies all year. And here comes Zabisco. Nice storytelling. It does feel a little bit like it would be a television match. But we paid it off. You know, the heels got their comeuppance. I thought it was a nice little segment. What'd you think? I, I, I loved it. I loved, I don't know if I have any notes on this one, uh, but I do want to go back to, to, to giant and Norton, just to point out and again, go back and see for yourself. You decide if I'm right or wrong, but I really, uh, enjoyed watching 
Giant get the reaction they did because Giant wasn't really over either. Giant was still pretty pretty new, and he never really got over in WCW. He was an attraction. He was positioned, you know, in, in a lot of important things, but he was never the guy. Just wasn't. Doesn't mean he wasn't important. Don't get me wrong, but he was not Kevin Nash. He was not Hulk Hogan. He just it wasn't Ric Flair. He wasn't. He wasn't at that level. But look at go back and watch the reaction that two guys who are not over. And you know, Scott Norton is one of my best friends, or, or you know, in, in the industry, um, just wasn't over. Right. Not not to the level that you would expect. Right. But holy shit, go back and watch the reaction. Holy shit, there I said it. Um, go back and watch the reaction that this match gets at the end. Everybody in the arena is on their feet. Yes. Which says a lot. For two guys who were not really that over, yeah, in a breather match, mm-hmm. to have to leave that match and everybody standing on their feet, get that kind of reaction. That says a lot to both Paul, for Paul and and for Norton. And now it's what time. Are we, what are we talking about? It's time for our main event. Oh, I gotta go. Sorry. You can finish this without me before we get there, because I don't know that Eric's gonna let me talk much at the end of this. I want to recommend that everybody check out savewithconrad.com. I'm talking to you. If you're a homeowner right now and you find yourself having more month at the end of the money, or maybe you don't know the answer to this question. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? Now, if you don't immediately know the answer, you probably haven't done enough planning. There's been a lot of discussion in recent months about student loans and what we should or shouldn't do. Well, my granddad used to say the best snake is uh, no snake, uh, AKA a dead snake. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I got friends who have pet snakes, but I can say, I agree with the idea that the best mortgage is no mortgage. I want to help you pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. So this isn't just a shout out to those of you who maybe could use a little extra help this month or next month or some lower monthly payments. We can help you with that at SaveWithConrad.com, No problem but we can also help you reorganize and restructure your debt to fit your short-term goals and your long-term goals. I routinely have conversations with like a 50 year old listener who will say, Hey man, I want to do a new 30 year loan. And that begs the question, Hey man, when do you plan to retire 62, 65? Are you on the work forever plan? Because you don't want to sign up at 50 years old for a 30 year loan. Do you want to be 80 when you pay your house? Of course not. No, there's a better way. Let's get in front of this debt. Let's get a plan to pay it off. And I'm talking to you specifically. If you have young kids, wouldn't it be cool? Let's say you got a one-year-old and a three-year-old running around. Wouldn't it be cool to knock out your biggest debt, your single biggest bills, your mortgage payment. I've never even talked to you. And I know that's true. Wouldn't it be nice if it was gone before the youngest one was driving and the oldest one was going to college kids driving cars is only going to get more expensive. Kids going to college is only going to get more expensive. You know, those expenses are coming and the time to worry about it and think about it is not when they're getting their fucking learner's permit. It's right now while they're young and you can knock out that debt. I want to help you do that at savewithconrad.com. In addition to that, I can't tell you we're routinely helping our listeners save a boatload of cash at savewithconrad.com. If you're in a 30 year loan, I can save you cash guaranteed. If you have a second mortgage, I can save you cash guaranteed. If you have a home equity line of credit, you might be heading towards a balloon payment. Even worse, a lot of home equity lines of credit are adjustable rates, which means you've seen your payments going up lately. 
And if you got credit card debt, there's going to be a lot more of that happening. All the credit card companies are raising their interest rates. Don't take my word for it. Google it. And while you're Googling, look up our reviews at conradreviews.com. Here's the most recent one. It's literally from yesterday. Uh, this is from Jimmy and Jimmy writes this. My wife and I just closed on our refinance after working with Diane and Steven. What a great experience. We closed in under a month and added about a thousand dollars of monthly cash flow. They were great. How about that? Think about that. They saved more than a thousand dollars, not once, but every single month. That's a $12,000 raise. Now without us, you'd have to work for that money, pay taxes on it, and then just give it away. You might have to earn 20 grand in order to net 12,000. So what if you gave yourself a raise today? That's a reality that we can help you with at savewithconrad.com. Now you don't need perfect credit to do this. You don't need money out of your pocket to do this. Dude, if I can't save you cash, I won't waste your time, but hurry. Just get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. I don't care if you filed bankruptcy a few years ago. It doesn't bother me. If you were late on a credit card, once upon a time, we're going to be able to find a solution to save you cash. Cause here's the thing at first family mortgage. We don't say no, we say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a plan to save some cash at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, if you've already made your September payment, how nice would it be to skip your October and November payment? There's something to be thankful for. Savewithconrad.com. Let's jump Can I in. Just throw one thing in there. Please do. Conrad. You know, it's because we're all affected by media, right? We yeah. can't avoid it. And we all know now, you know, interest rates are a topic of conversation. Mortgage rates are a topic of conversation. And I think some people probably feel like, oh, I can't afford it or all oh, the interest rates are too high. I'm not going to look into refinancing now or even buying a home now. But they're going to continue to put stuff on credit cards, right? More and more people are doing that. Yeah. And the truth is, I know you can um, create a situation where you can eliminate that credit card debt refinance, even if the interest rate is a little higher than it was a year ago, um, still save money. The opportunity to save money is still there. So don't let what you hear in the media convince you before you even pick up the phone or, or reach out to Conrad. Don't let other people convince you that you're stuck in a situation that you can't get out of because it's not true. At least you owe it to yourself and your family to pick up that phone, call Conrad, reach out to him on the internet. So, you know, for sure. And chances are, you're going to be surprised pleasantly. So, and by the way, I want to mention we're licensed in almost every state. Yes. Your state too. Uh, you can call us toll free one 888 You can send me an email Conrad at save with You can just DM me. My DMS are open or more importantly, get a quick quote for yourself right now at save with And when you go there, the bottom right-hand corner, you can chat with a live person. It's no cost. It's no obligation. What's the worst that could happen. We save you some cash. We tell you, Hey man, you got a great deal. Keep doing what you've been doing. Either way. You're walking away with peace of mind at SaveWithConrad.com. And now the uncomfortable part for Eric Bischoff, the main event it's team NWO. No, not that NWO, not the one you're imagining with Hulk Hogan, and Randy Savage, Scott Hall, but this one, with Marcus Bagwell, Kevin Nash, six and Conan. I love all those guys think they're world-class performers. However, they haven't exactly been positioned at the top of the cards with the exception of Kevin Nash, and they're going to beat Ric Flair, Chris Benoit and Steve McMichael. That's right. Four on three in 19 minutes and 37 seconds. 
Meltzer would say this really wasn't much of a match except for a strong performance by Benoit and some great bumps early by six. It started with Benoit versus Bagwell, who didn't really do a lot in the first big show main event of his career. Conan's in next, followed by McMichael. And by this point, the match was pretty good. Six came in and began saving the match with some great bumps. And at this point, Henning came out with his arm in a sling to the NW to the horseman corner. Now Flair comes in huge, big pop. As you would expect, we're in Winston Salem, North Carolina, followed by Nash, who is immediately going to destroy everyone. And the crowd starts chanting for sting Henning's dramatic against all odds. Entrance gets no crowd pop at all. And he immediately takes the sling off and gives the NWO members handcuffs to put on Benoit and McMichael, and they all destroy Ric Flair. Every time they asked Benoit and McMichael to quit, they'd say no. And finally they put Flair's head where they're going to destroy it in the cage. They're going to slam his head in the cage here. And McMichael says that was enough. Of course, Kurt being a heel still slams the door on Flair's head. This is directly from the observer. This was all an angle to cover for Flair, having some cosmetic surgery, either a facelift or an eye lift and taking about two months off the fact that he's been kept from everyone and how the timing, the card and everything else worked out in the end would show that as far as heat from the parody, while there was some legitimate heat and certainly from the NWO side, there's a ton of heat on Flair right now. It sure worked out well for the storyline in the end, didn't it? And he gave it two and a half stars. Now Meltzer didn't hate it, but boy, the crowd did. And a lot of the guys in the locker room, specifically the horsemen did to this day, Flair, Arn, and a lot of folks I know who are long-term NWA slash WCW fans in that area say this effectively killed WCW in North Carolina from then on. And when you go back and you take a look at what you guys were drawing after this, well, you never sold out like this again. You did have some big little moments for big flare returns here or there, but there is a lot of heat based on the fact that there was no sting descending. There was no Arn Anderson in the corner. There is no big payoff for the way the horsemen were ridiculed. And in a conventional wisdom sort of circumstance, Eric, if you have a heartfelt moment like Arn spot promo, and then you have the NWO parody it. The horseman would have shut it down and beat the shit out of them. That doesn't happen. They don't even get a retort later in the show. And then by the time it happens a week later, it feels a little stale. And yet the NWO still comes out in costume and mocks them again. And then they fucking beat them in the cage. And I understand the horsemen are a blip in the radar on the way to get to Hogan sting and this NWO WCW story. But to do this after you haven't really announced a main event and last year's war games was awesome. And if you're not sure, go watch those war games matches back to back. If you saw the 1996 one with the story of, is it the real sting? And there's a fake sting that was fantastic. This maybe not as much. Now, some of people would put the blame on Kurt for that and say, he just wasn't over. I don't know, man. I didn't love it. What'd you think? I thought it was awesome. And I would do it again. I might improve it a little bit. I think the reason uh, in, you know, as you say a lot to unpack here, you just gave me like four fucking suitcases in 20 minutes to get to the airport. Yes. Um, so let's, let me address that. I I agree. You know, there there was a real lack of reaction with Kurt coming back in the sling. The reason for that is nobody fucking knew what was going on. That scene that I discussed earlier in the show, 
um, where Gene Oakland was doing a hotline report and discovered that the NWO just, you know, presumably kicked the shit out of, out of Kurt happened in about a minute. It was probably presented to the audience in the arena on a Tron that probably 75% of the audience didn't even see. Mm. So there wasn't much of a connection between Kurt coming out in a sling and what just happened an hour or two previously or an hour previously. Right. So there was a disconnect there. My mind, that explains why there wasn't much of a reaction. Number two, go back and watch the show. The num the, and look, this is anecdotal information. This is not deep research, but just visually go back and watch the show and count the number of NWO t-shirts oh, in and around ringside and count the number of four horsemen t-shirts. Okay. Okay. So I'm not buying into the four horsemen walked on water in North Carolina in their freaking minds. They did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you heard. Whoa, the pop. No, 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 no. I let you go. I let you, I, 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 I let you dump that four fucking suitcase bunch of baggage on me to try to unpack as you like to say now let me get at least get my train of thought in order because i didn't interrupt you despite the fact i wanted to i have too much love and respect for you same please deal let's talk about whether or not we killed north carolina how was wcw drawn and the four horsemen and everybody involved how were they drawing in 92 how were they drawing in 93? How were they drawing in 94? They weren't. You couldn't fucking give tickets away. It was the worst. One of the worst markets WCW had was North Carolina. One of my first pay-per-views in North Carolina was in Asheville. They papered the fucking house. They were giving free pizza away to people that would take a free ticket to come and sit in a seat. So don't give me the NWO and that angle and that pay-per-view kill North Carolina. Fuck it. We resurrected it from the dead with NWO. So I know it was like the highlight of your career and there's the nostalgia. Oh, you know, NWA, the Crocketeer, it was the best time of your lives. Maybe because you were having a blast and really having a ball. But just remember, NWA went out of business. They went bankrupt, which is why Ted Turner was able to buy him and create WCW. So stick your nostalgia stuff up on a wall, feel good about it, but don't let it distract or detract from the reality of the situation. I get it. Man. It was an emotional angle for a lot of the principals involved. And I got that. And Hey, there were, I'm sure there were four horsemen fans in that arena that were really pissed off. Thank God. That was the other That's idea. called heat. That's called building a story. That's called escalating what was already working, which allowed us to double the ratings of our number one competitor head to head in prime time, bitches. So don't whine and cry about heat because heat is what made things work. And by the way, if I had to sacrifice the entire state of North Carolina as a viable live event market to continue to build the NWO into the machine that it would become, not only was, but would become and continue to grow, I would do it in a minute because North Carolina provided absolutely no opportunity for WCW in the years before. 
It was a dead market. You can talk now. Uh, a lot to unpack here, as I like to say. You you have for a few weeks now banged the drum of how much money Crockett lost and that they went bankrupt and you keep saying bankrupt. Didn't you lose more in WCW than he did in the NWA? I don't know how much you lost. Was it? Well, and, the report is that. And, you, and, and by the way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't know that anybody ever even speculated it was 60 or $80 million. And it wasn't six or $80 million in WCW either. That's a bullshit number, right? And read Guy Evans book. Don't take my word for it. Read the book. There was so much money being allocated and reallocated within Turner broadcasting, not just WCW to shore up. EBITDAs in different divisions of the company that would enhance Turner's stock value at the time of the consummation of the merger that was going on. Now, dipshits like Dave Meltzer and the people that follow him don't understand that because they don't understand what an intercompany allocation was. And while a lot of those allocations were, I guess, generally accepted accounting principle maneuvers, there was a lot of money from other divisions of Turner Broadcasting that were being dumped into WCW because the plan was to lose WCW and they wanted to write a lot of those expenses off so it didn't hurt the divisions that were going to be around after the merger. They knew WCW was gone. They wanted WCW, they meaning executives within Turner Broadcasting, who had wanted WCW gone for years by that point. Now is that opportunity. A lot of those losses that were publicized, read the book. Don't take my efforts, my, my words for it. Guy Evans did over a hundred interviews with key executives, people I never even got an opportunity to talk to read the book before you start throwing 60 or $80 million losses around. Like they're facts. Bischoffbook.com coming your way, by the way. Uh, I, I also want to circle back to something you said when you bragged about what were they fucking drawing, you know, before the NWO, I would have sacrificed it at all for the NWO. Well, you kind of did like there was no real ending. The NWO cleared house and beat everybody up. And the result two years later, I mean, almost to the day you guys ran a show in my hometown here of Huntsville, Alabama a building you'd sold out many times for nitro and thunder. There's 1600 people in the building. That wasn't a TV taping, but the day before was in Rome, Georgia, you got 1300 folks. And the day after was you're in Chattanooga and you got 2,400 folks. Mm -hmm. That's two years later. You ran a TV Mm -hmm. taping in Louisiana in October of 99. There's barely a thousand people there. So I don't want to hear that the NWO squashing everybody was good for fucking business. In a conventional sense of, of storytelling and wrestling, the bad guys get the heat on the good guys, but in the end, the good guys prevail that never happened. And what would have been wrong with it happening every now and again, it happened the month prior at road or right before road wild when Luger won. And it was a huge success. You, 
popped a huge rating, set all kinds of records, sold way more pay-per-views than you would have thought you would have with that. But instead we squashed the horseman in horseman country, which I know you make fun of and I get it, but the reality is it was a sold out crowd. But not only that, you did it in this same building a year later for fall brawl 98. And this is really the end of war games. It's team WCW with DDP Piper and warrior taking on team NWO Hollywood, which is Hogan, Brett and Stevie Ray. That's random. And then the Wolfpack, which is Nash Sting, and Luger, but it was an atrocious, I mean, atrocious pay-per-view main event. I understand if this was leading to some big payoff where flair overcomes or whatever, that doesn't happen. I, I just don't understand how you can argue that this was a net benefit for the company when history tells us that was not the case. What happened? What, what happened in the fall? What happened in at Halloween havoc? What kind of buy rate did we get to Halloween havoc? Huge. I, and I'm not being a dick here. Cause I don't expect you would know, but, um, no, it was a huge success. I mean, there's, there's no- my response. There's my response. That's so it. you can, you can talk about what happened to WCW in 99 or late 98 or 99. And we've discussed and anybody that's listened to the show knows my opinion on that. There were a lot of things that fell apart in about the beginning of 98 and not the beginning towards the middle of 98, certainly by the end of 98 uh, and 99 is, and should be a fucking write off. Um, that's how bad it was. But to suggest that the finish of this match and the disrespect of the four horsemen in North Carolina was somehow connected to that, I'm not buying it. Yes, I fully admit, um, and I have, I've fallen on the sword so many times, I look like fucking Swiss cheese. I get it, man. Creatively, a lot of things went wrong beginning in the middle of 98. And, and it only got worse from there. That's why there were only 1,300 people in Rome, Georgia. That's why there were only 1,600 people in Huntsville, Alabama. It had nothing at all to do with what we're talking about and any suggestion that it did. Cool. Great topic for discussion over beers, but I ain't buying it. Well, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that any or all of that had to do with the horsemen specifically. What I'm saying is there was no, there was no button on the end of the NWO story that there was no big major. And, and, and I agree. And we've talked about why, and I've, I mean, I, I, we can talk about it again and again and again, and my position is never going to change. It is what I believe to be the truth. And maybe somebody else has a different version of the truth that is credible. I don't know, but I, I know what I experienced. I know what I did every day. I know what I had to deal with every day. And to suggest that, you know, it's all because all I heard about was the NWO. If that's the implication or the inference, I just disagree with that. Uh, any idea why Arn wasn't here? I mean, it does feel like in, in a traditional wrestling sense, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be disparaging to anyone because I think you and I talk lovingly every week about Sean Waltman and Conan and we both think the world of Marcus Bagwell and we're pulling for him, especially right now more than ever. But with the exception of Kevin Nash, this has been positioned on TV as like the NWOB team and the NWOB team is going to beat one of your top guys. And, it, 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 and there's no, there's no revenge for what just happened to Arn. Like that. 
I don't know. First of all, Arn can't get revenge, brother. Arn can't, he can't wrestle. Arn could have been out there and done the handcuff gimmick and it went the other way. He can't wrestle. I'm not arguing that he couldn't get in the ring. He couldn't, we couldn't make contact with Arn Anderson physical. My my point of that, Eric is if you feel that way, why parody Arn? Aren't the heels supposed to go out there and show ass. So then the baby faces can beat them and get their payoff. So, yeah, so I, I should have abandoned what was working beginning in 1996, which changed the course of the entire wrestling industry. I should have diminished the NWO to accommodate what the traditional wrestling formula was abandoned. what was working at that time, remember we're talking about at that time. Yes where we're doubling our competitors ratings. And yes, we were actually competitors in a real sense, doubling our, 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 our ratings over the WWE head to head in prime time, making more money than we've ever made in, in, in WCW's history, not only turning a profit for the first time, but making, depending on the intercompany allocations and the way you wanted to read the, the books generally grossing everybody pretty much agreed about 350, $360 million a year. And at one point reflecting a profit margin of about 60 or 80, 70, ironically, the same number that is yeah. supposedly what we lost that one year. Right. Um, look, was it traditional? No, nothing that I did by the way was traditional. Was the traditional wrestling to bring in a cruiserweight division and bring in a bunch of superstars from Mexico and making them a mainstay and a big part of your primetime television show? No, that was pretty untraditional, too. And it got a lot of pushback from a lot of traditional wrestlers who were backstage who just didn't understand these little guys flip-flopping around. I heard that every freaking Monday afternoon in the beginning until they proved that they deserve to be there. So, I, you know, when it comes to, yeah, doesn't the traditional say you should have done it this way and get their comeuppance? My answer to that is fuck no. 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 I didn't want to do what traditionally should have been done. I wanted heat. Because heat is life. Heat is what that. made everything work. Heat is what continued to build. Into, heat is the reason why. One of the reasons why, no, not one of the reason why the October Halloween Havoc, Halloween Havoc pay-per-view did what it did in part because of what we just saw. So I'm just not going to buy it. I know what's traditional and what's not traditional. And I know what Dave Meltzer has to say. And even some wrestling fans at the time, I get it. It was a horrible thing to do. Disrespect Arn and his home and, and, and parody him that way. And, and just treat Ric Flair the way we treated him in that pay-per-view and slam his head in the door and not give him them their comeuppance. Yep. That was lopsided and untraditional. And I'm glad I did it. You said, uh, the heat here is what helped sell the next pay-per-view. It's because you had Alex Wright beat Steve McMichael there. That's how he got his revenge on the NWO. Kurt Henning and Ric Flair did have a match, which makes all the sense in the world. Um, Kevin Nash, not here. Buff Bagwell, not here. Conan, not here. Um, the main events, Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. It feels disconjointed. It didn't lead to anything. And I think it, it, it felt like it should have felt, which was NWO dominating WCW and getting an NWO as an organization, as a creative concept, getting as much heat as they possibly could on WCW and what people thought 
WCW was in the past. That's what the basis of the NWO versus WCW story was. And by the way, let's go back one. It's, it's interesting, you know, well, you know, it's the NWO B team. In the face of one of the biggest criticisms I ever had, which is, oh, you, you know, you, you really couldn't, you know, you couldn't get into the main event if, you know, you couldn't get through the glass ceiling. Then the minute you put somebody through the glass ceiling, it's like, oh, I can't believe they put them in the main event. I'm not saying that at all. I am just saying, I think a lot of folks would have assumed, and maybe this is your Sarsa thing, given the story, it's the logical next step that there is going to be revenge and Arn's going to be involved because they just mocked him and ridiculed him. Instead, it goes nowhere. Arn's just a punk and we're going to slam his best friend's head in a cage. And I understand some of that circumstantial. If the guy's got a surgery coming up and, and you did use it the next night on nitro, we're not talking about that next night, but it opened with still photos of his face laid open. Uh, as they explained, he's having reconstructive surgery after what happened last night. I get that that's heat, but that could have been done after the fact. I, I don't know. It just feels odd to me that there was no payoff because I know that if this same piece of business happened on a Wednesday night or a Friday night, you'd get on here the following Monday and just rip it to fucking shreds. But because Maybe it was, your, because it was your idea. Oh no, this was good heat. First of all, I don't know that it was my idea. You're giving me credit. Creative. What happened on your credit. watch? You're right. You know, I'm, I may or may not have had a direct hand in, but I would have approved it. Right. Or, 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 or I would have had the opportunity to say no. Um, in the moment at that time, in the situation we were in, I felt it was the best thing to do. I agreed that it was a good finish and it would position us where we wanted us, meaning WCW with regard to the NWO and how we continue, wanted to continue to build the dominance of the NWO. I would have agreed to do it. I agreed to do it then. And I would have agreed to do it today. Would I do it differently? Yeah. With you know, a lot more experience and age and wisdom and hindsight. Sure. I would do it differently. I would make it more interesting, but would I fundamentally change it under the circumstances? Arn can't wrestle. Rick's going away. Hogan, by the way, I couldn't put in that match because I had a four pay-per-view yeah. deal with him and we were going into Halloween Havoc. So guess what? Hogan wasn't on the card and that wasn't where we were going. I couldn't put Hogan on the card. So I'm just not going to apologize for it. And neither am I going to accept all the emotional, nostalgic, weeping, whining, and gnashing of teeth about how the fact that we ruined North Carolina. Because I will go back to tell me what your ticket sales were in 1993. Let's talk about that. Because they were abysmal. Because the market was already dead. And you killed it, and it was dead two years later. Story of 83. Well, evidently North Carolina has been killed two or three times. <laughs> it, it was dead. It was dead. When I got to WCW folks, go back and read it. By the way, it was deader than dead. And it came back to life. And then evidently I killed it again. If you appreciate what we're doing here, please consider going to moneyformongo.com, making a donation for a horseman who deserved better by God, uh, I also want to mention and I'm speaking it into existence. We have a great new t-shirt over at adfreecares.com. Eric Bischoff. I killed North Carolina. 
<laughs> proudly. <laughs> by the way, and, I, and by the way, if that shirt actually comes out, I will wear it on this shirt. <laughs> it's coming out. It's going to be at adfreecares.com. Of course, whenever you pick up a shirt from any of our great podcasts here, 100% of the proceeds go directly to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Not a dollar goes to Eric. Not a dollar goes to me. It all goes to St. Jude's. So if you enjoyed our, our shenanigans today, go pick up a shirt. I killed North Carolina. Only Eric Bischoff could brag about that fact. Uh, but you know what? He would remind us it's no brag, just fact. And the fact is we'll be back here next week, each and every week talking about the good old days of professional wrestling. And next week, Eric, we're throwing the keys to our listeners. It's going to be ask Eric anything. And I have a feeling giving some of your recent comments, you're going to get a lot of interesting questions about back in the day and the NWO and the horseman and Crockett, but more importantly about modern wrestling, Vince McMahon is out. AEW is all anybody's talking about. Triple H has got the momentum right now. What's next in professional wrestling? Well, you'll find out what Eric thinks about it all next week, right here on 83 weeks. Eric, that wasn't too bad. You lived, right? I not only lived, I think I won. Well, I don't know about all I that. Think, I think my argument, in, if we're in a court of law right now and we had a jury and a judge, I think I walk out of there with my hands in the air, brother. Well, let's do a poll today. Go on over to Twitter at 83 weeks. Not only can you ask a question for next week to Eric. Uh, you'll see where we're soliciting your questions there. It'll be pinned to the top, but we'll also throw a little poll up. Who was right? Did Eric help kill WCW in North Carolina with fall brawl, 1997, or is it just wrestling bullshit? We'll find out next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.